I always used to give Owen Sheehan a good bit of grief for his power rankings. They aren't easy, Will. As a group, as players, we have not done one minute of video analysis of any team this year. The Club Championship Show. Subscribe to the GEA podcast feed on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Spang at half past seven. It's Wednesday morning and it's a football free day. What are you going to do with all your spare time? You can text us 0879-180-180. That's the WhatsApp number. Or you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. You can tweet us at Off The Ball. Shane is here. Shane, good morning to you. Morning, Ger. Colm is here. Colm. Morning, guys. How are, How are you? you? All good. It's not good. There's two days without football. The, way, the wasteland of having to speak to other human beings. <clears throat> it was 17 days of consecutive football. Um, I'm glad for the break. We'll see if the momentum uh, resumes on Friday. And then it's bumper again, Friday and Saturday. I think it's, an, it's a time for reflection. Not it's so. a time of year for reflection. It's time for reflection in this World Cup. And I think they left us off with a very entertaining day of action yesterday because two very different teamed matches. Best World Cup of your lifetime, Finney Parts. He's like, Ooh. I mean, it's getting there. Everything you wanted. Yeah, yeah. It still needs a big, uh, big quarter final, semi final surge in order to, to top that list for me. Yesterday, when you think about it, it was one of those like big, 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 big days in, in yeah. world football history where they dropped the most famous man on the planet <laughs> and his replacement is a kid who scores three goals. He made his debut in September yeah. for the senior team. I actually have to say, I've been a big fan of this Gonzalo Ramos guy for, um, since about 20 past seven mm-hmm. last night. Massive fan of him. I think he's, he's a there proper he player. There. Looks a lot older than his 21 years. Doesn't, doesn't he? he? Yeah. Doesn't he just... Um, he's a grown ass man he is and it, was, it wasn't just the fact that he scored a hat-trick it was the nature of the hat-trick mm-hmm. yeah. that first goal like ridiculous sorry Colin I know what you're going to say go on say it it's the best open play goal of the tournament so far 100% Richarlison the best like, open what? play goal uh, only second to Chavez overall but the oh, so the free kick is your, is your number one 100 but I don't think it'll be beaten and actually um not to play the football or anything, but Kev, Kev Kilban admitted that to Adrian Barry afterwards being like, actually, that Chavez free kick was the best free kick he's ever seen in the World Cup. And I was like, it's totally the best goal in the tournament. You did say Richarlison's goal is better. Uh, but Chavez is the best goal. And then uh, Ramos's open play goal is just... Because it was so unexpected. And Bubakar's little lob as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. Though They're all contenders. I look plenty would say Richarlison. That's totally fair. Yeah. But um, the, I know, it was just the sudden nature of the shot and the goalkeeper like Mick McCarthy was in here watching it live in the news round and he was oh, I think the keeper could have done better at the near post no. and then Joe Malloy and Anne-Marie Donnell were like oh my god no look look at the speed of the shot and then Mick was like yeah actually Jesus 15, ferocious 59 miles per hour it took f- uh, 0.44 seconds to get from the boot to the goal mm. it was ridiculous it couldn't have been any more top corner like proper proper striker's finish and the, and the good news for Portugal is it was all three times of different goals like the second was the poacher near post yeah. put it under the legs and then the third one was put through was the slightly heavy touch but his momentum was carrying towards the ball with the ball going away from you very easy for it to hit off the keeper and come back out but just a very very delicate little dink just like oh. dug his foot into the ball so it just kept him going lovely and also his lack of surprise by any of these goals oh, he like completely like born to the stage meanwhile the camera is panning to the most famous man in the world absolutely livid at the situation well you know in fairness he did celebrate I did wonder is he is he part of the the mm. bench is emptied or has it yes it has yeah. in fairness including him he did know that the right thing to do here is to get off his ass and go and celebrate and then but um, <clears throat> it's an amazing little psychodrama and fair play to the head coach who obviously was like uh, buoyed up by the poll which everybody kept mentioning during the coverage like yeah, fair enough okay maybe uh, referendums are exactly how we should do things in future Mm. That really works well in democracies, doesn't it? Hundred percent. Yeah, it usually does. It might, like, I don't know how Ronaldo. Like, 
now he knows he's the problem because Portugal played better without him United played better without him this Saudi Arabian club Al Nasser will probably play better without him maybe not um, but yeah all of a sudden he's probably realising okay Fernando Santos and Eric Ten Hag can't both be wrong they can't both be wrong like Santos has been his <coughs> guy for 8 years in charge and he's been he's been his supporter his defender his uh, person that put up with all his petulance and arrogance and all of a sudden now he's sitting on the bench going Okay, even even Fernando Santos doesn't want me anymore. It's it's, it's like now he I think realizes it's the end of an era. Now, don't get me wrong, Ronaldo will still potentially have a role to play in this. I, yeah, I think so. I have no doubt. Yeah. yeah, I think it will strengthen his resolve of anything being left out again. Yeah, I think it will just. I think it will add to his um, his motivation to prove everybody wrong. But he can like, start against Morocco and score hat-trick himself. Well, he won't. Well, he won't, but I mean... He, he, he could come off the bench and score a header to win the game for them. Yeah. Absolutely. You wouldn't be terribly surprised about that, would you? No. And if, like, is it Morocco defence, we'll talk about it now if you want, but um, they've been amazing. So there's a good chance that's nil all as well, right? Yeah. You could tell from the outset of the Morocco-Spain game, this team are set so up very does he, defensively. Does he wait to take the fifth? It didn't get to the fifth for Spain. Yeah. No, I think, I think he'll go first, won't he? Yeah, and Lewis. Yeah, no, Ronaldo is a glory hunter. He'll go for number five. I yeah. think he'll, well, he, well, he might be worried that he won't get there because you know, as he's realised in the last six months, his career is flashing away before his eyes, yeah. and he'll want to in some way be in the limelight. Sure, look like that header that he didn't score, but he claimed to score. Like this guy's a phenomenal actor, and like the celebration yesterday was like him. Like, I'm going to put on my best performance, which kind of you know, there's a bit of an intrigue about him in that. He has, this, you know, he has that kind of maniacal smile when he misses something or something goes wrong. Yeah. So you'd love to really know what goes behind behind the scenes. I, mm. I do think that there's a slight difference for Portugal and whatever was going on because there's there's no escape from this. Like he can't he can't divorce Portugal the way he can divorce Manchester United. So there's definitely a bit where the international coach has something that Ronaldo needs and wants, mm-hmm. and so therefore he has to be part of the team as opposed to at Manchester United. Once once Ten Hag came in, it was clear that he wasn't going to have any influence, that he was no longer chosen or favoured, and so therefore it didn't really matter. Like that divorce, he's like he's already left Man United fans once. He can do that again. Can't leave Portugal. That's his home. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. the first time uh, Ronaldo came on as a substitute for Portugal since he was a teenager. Jesus, yeah, like and you know that that would have hurt definitely for a World Cup knockout game, and at the same time. Look for his ego. The one thing that would help him is that when he was preparing to come on as a substitute, mm. when he stood off the bench, oh. took off his tracksuit, the noise from the TV was incredible. It was it was as if another goal was scored, and the the noise was quite sustained over a few seconds. Now I don't know. Look, the Portugal fans had it all. They had a win-win situation. Their team was absolutely annihilating a handy Switzerland team on paper that didn't turn up at all in the night. So it's very comfortable. It's a good time to bring him on. Uh, but at the same time, there was this poll done in Portugal: Would you drop Cristiano Ronaldo? And it was an overwhelming. Yes, I yeah. would drop Ronaldo ahead of the game. So I don't know, you know, Andy Mitten's off and on saying match going fans are very different to online fans or fans that just aren't going to the game. So it could have been a, a split poll anyway. But it did seem to me that, look, it's a good time for, to bring Ronaldo on. So we'll cheer him for the legend that he is. But he can't start the next game now. Yeah. He, he can't. They have to pick the same 11 if everybody's fit. It was very smart by Fernando Santos to bring him on on, what, 73, 74 minutes? Like bringing him on on 84, 85 is getting dangerously close to Ronaldo. Well, if he had heard the Pierce Morgan interview, he was like, I don't do three minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, alluding, to, alluding to the Tottenham game where he refused to come on. So, yeah, Adam McCoy's is saying it in commentary, being like, you need to bring him on now, you need to bring him on now. Oh, has, it had to happen. Within two minutes, he was on the pitch. There, yeah. A lot of people hypothesised on Twitter last night the potential scenario of the Argentina-Portugal final where Messi runs riot and Ronaldo sits on the bench. That, I mean... 
but cruel irony for Ronaldo. Well, if it gets to, if it gets to three 0 they're bringing him on because like that's an emergency. So yeah, he's not he's not starting any other game, right? If everybody's and fit, barring injury, yeah, no, he can't. Exactly. No, he he can't. can't. Sorry, and he must realise that now. But there's a good chance players get injured. It's a World Cup, totally. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, but if they don't, like Ramos looks fit well and uh, everything's going smoothly for him, and he's 21, never been fitter in the prime of his life. Sorry, he'd only played 33 minutes of international football. Incredible. That was his first, like yeah. 67 minutes to score your first World Cup hat trick. Uh, he scored 14 goals this season for Benfica, running away with the Portuguese league, eight points clear. And last season he was Darwin Nunes's understudy. So I he's mean, really he's come to the fore now. He was Nunes and Ronaldo's understudy, and now he's the main man overnight. I see someone saying Southampton in the summer were in for Gonzalo Ramos and Cody Gakpo. Wow. And obviously now they're absolutely not in the running. He absolutely knew what he was doing. He's gone now. He exactly. knew what he wanted. Yeah, he's yeah, no yeah. more. Yeah. But with, uh, with Ramos, look, I think it's Jamie Carragher who said that all great players in history always do something special the first time you see them. Mm. So it's boding well for Ramos, but at the same time, you know, Federico McKay did something special the first time you saw him against Aston Villa. I mean, his, his goal scoring record at uh, all levels. Exactly. It, it is looking good, yeah, mm. for, for a young man who, as we already said, looks so much older than he is and carries himself older and has a maturity and self confidence about if him. If Benfica could have just kept all their players, uh, it's, uh, it's the hoariest old cliche in world football, but if they could have just kept their players. There's an, there's an argument for, the, for experience on the pitch as well because you have, um, you look at Spain's penalty, penalties and you look at Spain generally yesterday and you're like, was it youth that lost it for them? Like, Sarabia, yeah, could have won it with the last kick of the game. What we were saying in the pre-show meeting, like that, it's, it's, so Sarabia's brought on to take the, the penalties, good penalty yeah. taker. He misses the chance to win the game for Spain. It it's a good volley, hits the post. He did it's well. Abs- yeah, it's a heartbreaking moment for him. He gets head in his hands. Oh my god, I could have well, won the game. He couldn't have hit it much better. No, I think it was a good effort. Yeah, but he missed. He missed. He missed. He missed. Of course, so that's undeniable. Like missed, and he was like, oh my god, I could have won. Uh, the game for my country to send us through to the next round but I didn't and within two minutes he's taken the first penalty and I was saying the pre-show there's obviously no witnesses there I was watching the game on my own being like this guy is going to miss this penalty he literally just missed the chance to win the game he's going to miss this penalty uh, now I thought it was well struck penalty hit the post ah Colin. very unlucky Colin. very unlucky well, it's not a well struck penalty if you miss uh, I disagree if you if you hit the post if you hit the post it's a bad penalty because it's not it's not within the confines of the net. I thought it was very well hit and um, he hit the post and was like, okay, you mean I'm, very well I'm hit as in his contact was was good. Yeah, and yeah, but you could, you, could, you could hit a ball very well and hit the corner flag from a penalty. No, no, no. Oh, that, that connection. No, no, was great. I, no I, I obviously don't mean that. The corner like, flag. I mean he, he knew what he was trying to do bottom bottom right and didn't do and, it. And and he didn't, didn't do it. And he missed, but it, look, he missed. But uh, so it was a good thing. Was bad penalty anyway. He's going to miss, and then. Soller was up next, wasn't he? Yeah. And I was like, this guy doesn't want to take the penalty. He honestly looked He's like a kid. Down. He First day of school, it. like he was terrified. Uh, but um, as Cameron uh, Hill pointed out in her piece from me to everybody, probably the stat of the morning so far is that the only country that Spain have beaten on penalties in the World Cup. Uh, don't. 2002. They were crap in that given. So that's two penalty shootouts in a row for international tournaments that Spain are getting eliminated on. And Luis Enrique, the Spain manager, says you have to take a thousand penalties for me if you want to be in this team. Mm. And look what's happened. For such technicians, like their possession is incredible. Nobody can get the ball off them, but they have no penetration themselves in the final third. And then when it comes to the ultimate nerve test, they've been left lacking twice, whereas Morocco just looked completely determined to bar that one penalty. I'm sure Gavi, he would practice penalties, and yes, he's not in the pitch for the shootout. Like, Taken off after an hour. A lot of, lot of hate for Gavi on Twitter. Um, it turns out Twitter hates Gavi. Miguel Delaney was was tweeting yeah, about Gavi and he got serious amount of abuse for it. People say it, like I think I, I don't know if it's the young generation who are just into other players like Mbappe and Haaland and don't like seeing Gavi compared to the best in the world. But um, there's a little bit of hey, you're you're blaming the Mbappe stands 
they might come for you. Yeah, hundred percent. Be careful what you say about Mbappe or Haaland or Ronaldo. I think Ronaldo's or Taylor Swift or Taylor Swift. Yeah, as it turns out, uh, and Harry Styles is in that uh, group as well. We still have the FIFA team that Owen didn't pick them both in, and um, <laughs> did like a, a million retweets where people were calling him stupid and other and other worse things yeah. that we can't say in the morning. We're, what else, Shane? Where else are we going? We're missing Bono. So we, we, we need to touch on Bono as well. Bono, Yusuf Bono, and um, whoever you want to pronounce his name to fit in your, your U2 references. Um, the smirk he had on his face throughout the entire shootout just led me. I was like, from the get-go, you're like, this guy's not... This guy's... That's a good point, yeah. He, was, he couldn't stop smiling, uh, which was fantastic. He was like Dwight York standing in goals, just smirking away. Between penalties. Between penalties. Yeah. And every time he saved it, he would just smirk and look at the crowd, look at the camera and kind of glance. Uh, look, Morocco were very defensively intimidating. Look, they've only conceded one goal in four games in this tournament and that was an own goal. Mm. The only own goal of the tournament so far. And he didn't even concede a penalty in the shootout. Sorry. They're impenetrable. <clears throat> I was looking at their record. So... Morocco's record under him so far he took charge of Valid Reguay on August 31st yep. 2-0 win against Chile 0-0 against Paraguay 3-0 win against Georgia 0-0 against Croatia 2-0 win against Belgium 2-1 against Canada that, that was an own goal and then the 0-0 last night they just don't concede goals that, that's a concern for Portugal but so it's, it's, a, it's clash styles it's, it's free scoring Portugal against a, a very defensive yeah. uh, minded Morocco there was the great clip lads I don't know if you saw it on, online as well last night where um, uh, Irish poet uh, royal, royalty, I guess you could call it, was was called out on Fox Sports. More player, right? But go on, yeah. yeah more player, right, sorry, yeah. Here's here's the clip. Enjoying Tom Rinaldi. Rob, there's only one thing worse than being talked about, and that's not being talked about. The iconic Irish writer Oscar Wilde said that. Don't know if he was a soccer fan, but he definitely would have been a fan of Cristiano Ronaldo. Who's <laughs> 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 the laugh? It was a Chris O'Dowd, yeah. If it was Chris O'Dowd, Chris O'Dowd certainly tweeted it. Um, I don't know if it was himself that recorded it. I think it, it, must it was, have been, it it was yeah, yeah. It's on his yeah. page. Yeah. That's the look at his gaff, like, yeah. <laughs> look at that, his um, TV. I mean, sorry, playwright, of course, Oscar Wilde. Uh, well, I mean, the Battle of Reading Jail is very good. I'm not, I'm not disputing, yeah. so let's not get into the, the technicalities of Oscar Wilde's life. Um, but apparently he would have been a big fan of Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, uh, that's Alan Partridge, David Brent stuff there from, from Fox Sports. They probably were thinking that no, nobody Irish is going to watch this or, or see this or correct me on this. Somebody in the in the responses um, had actually dug out a quote from Wilde about football. Football's all very wild. Well, sorry. Football uh, is all very well as a game for rough girls, but it's hardly suitable for delicate boys. So, jeez, he, I mean, he's a he's a fan of football. He is a fan of football, and like whether or not he would have been a fan of Cristiano Ronaldo, I don't know. I'm sure he might have been. I mean, he's not the only. It was a good 24 hours for the Nobel laureates Irish. Uh, writers because another one got got a, a subtle reference call out in um, in the Irish Times this morning an unlikely source you don't most, normally you'd hear Kev singing rebel songs yeah 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 uh, da, 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 da. in the opening opening paragraph France to beat England and not because of Kylian Mbappe but because Kyle Walker will be isolated against him Antoine Griezmann Olivier Giroud and Usman Dembele also need minding the centre cannot hold WB8s, there you go. Well, there you go. The importance of being earnest, wasn't that wild? Yeah. Ronaldo could take lessons from some of Wilde's works, perhaps, and be more earnest. To fall out with one club is 
unfortunate to look, fall out with two clubs in the space of six weeks is beginning to look there you go what's, yeah. the, rest of it? what's the rest of it forget your U2 references it's all about the Oscar Wilde the beauty of that segue is the reporter set himself up nicely because it's like a template you could use any name at the end there that mm. was fantastic carelessness go to, go to anyone carelessness. sorry go on yeah. beginning yeah. to look like carelessness to <laughs> anyone but um, I don't like, what, what's, he, what's he talking about is he still talking <laughs> um the Morocco the Morocco <laughs> reaction uh, leaving Sir Morocco reaction was uh, incredible around the world we actually have a video of it oh, there yeah. this is Trafalgar Square Jesus um, last night after the match for people who can't see a lot of people gathered in Trafalgar Square Palestine in a, flag in a pyramid form almost going up yeah, upwards yeah. incredible the Palestine um, flag has been everywhere during this World Cup as well yeah. a lot of the countries kind of yeah. putting it forward um, but it, yeah it's remarkable and like like such a huge Moroccan diaspora in the world like this, I think 17 of the squad are born outside of the region and Hakimi who struck the winning penalty was raised in Madrid you know they're represented everywhere yeah. but like that winning penalty sorry but I mean nerves well, of steel helped by the fact that the Spanish goalkeeper Unai Seyman was diving like four hours before every penalty yeah, yeah. and making everybody's mind up for them with the exception of the one he saved because he dived correctly and guessed well, but like for Hakimi's Paneca Honest to God, look back and it. Seaman's gone when play, like yeah. he's running up. Oh, he was going to the shops. He was going to the shops. It's a short run up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, please score. Please knock us out. Um, Kev's columns, by the way, in the New York Times have been excellent. Uh, you're all going to say I'm biased. I am biased, but you should still read them because they're excellent. Um, it, the quote, properly, not to butcher it, is to lose one parent, Mr. Worthing, may be regarded as a misfortune. To lose both looks like carelessness. To lose one relationship with a fan base may look. Oh. Yeah. Right, see what you did there. I wonder what Kev's next be about. The Spain penalty shootout. I'm sure he'll. Oh no, I can't. Can I bring it up? Can't go there. No. How, how did his penalty go? Does anybody remember? Oh, it's blocked from my mind. I can't remember. He must have scored. Remember. No. I put him down for a goal. That's what. Yeah. I was chatting recently to David Connolly on Football Saturday, and he was like, he was backing himself. He he had been kind of de- he had a decent penalty record at club level and stuff, and was confident go- walking up, and then, oh shit, it's the fan, and we all know what happened next. Was it just Connolly and Killer that missed the? The penalties for Ireland well, there was more wasn't it it was 3-2 on penalties it was just and then Hart of course missed it in, in normal time it was uh, Ian Hart was like basically on one leg at that stage so he's yeah. fairly sure he had a couple of injections and so shouldn't have been taken in the first place fair point but anyway yeah. you know maybe Penalty, we're, not, uh, we're not bitter about this no not at all not Spain, at all of course basically down to 10 men because David Obelda had a twisted testicle he was rolling around the place in agony apparently one of the sorest things that can happen to you I'd imagine so and um, none of the Irish team realised that they had a man advantage in extra time against Spain and this occurred well none of the Never, none yeah. of the Irish management team yeah. yeah that guy looks a bit sore isn't he rolling around the place there screaming yeah. like he, it's fine but it's let's fine. defend whatever we do <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's Finn and someone said Steve Finn and missed no then someone says Finn and scored doesn't matter um, we'll find out but yeah well, we, we, there's a thing called Google we could just look it up we could just look it up you know it will be, I'm usually yeah. looking up there if you want uh, you're doing it there talking talk about yourself yeah, okay. uh, sorry the, uh, the hurling club All-Ireland final Ballygunner against Ballyhill being clashed semi-final sorry clashing that, that's bulletin board yeah. material apologies for both St. Thomas's and Dunloy these, these border county people oh, but is it, is it the final really involved they don't understand it could be the is final it, is it the though. real final no it's not it's the semi-final it's the semi-final, it semifinal. Matter. you're right you're right it is look sorry yeah yeah uh, stick that in your wall um, it, it is Great half past of that. <laughs> it's half past three on the day of the World Cup final World Cup final is at three o'clock I think our time so I mean it's not great but uh, the fact of the matter is the Camogie finals are on the Saturday so they can't do them on the Saturday separate stadiums out of commission for repair work so kind of it's forcing the GEA's hand a little bit so I understand why they have to 
a clash it, but maybe they could have changed the throw in times. Well, possibly not. The St. Thomas's game couldn't go on the Saturday because there's a wedding there, so they could have put that one on the Sunday. It doesn't have to be a double header. The the other game could have been on the Saturday. Like, yeah, do it at one o'clock. There's a way around it, surely. Yeah, yeah. get the fans out of the it. out of Crow Park in for the World Cup final. This, could, good, be, like, this could be one of the all time great club hurling matches. Yeah. Like it really could be, mm-hmm. and the audience is going to be massively diminished. Yeah, don't don't tell me there's no hurl. crossover between hurling fans and World Cup fans because there is. I guarantee it's going to affect the crowd, 100. percent A lot of Ballygunner uh, and Ballyhill fans will want to watch the World Cup final, um, so it's undoubtedly going to affect the crowd. Now maybe the GA will come out and change it. Do I don't think they will. That's the official announcement. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's unfortunate. So it's TJ Reader, Killian Mbappe, Desi Hutchinson, or Neymar <coughs> as the uh, Irish Daily Mail. Put it at the back. Make your choice. You can't have both. That's Athens tough, correctly pointed out in the live comments. Robbie Keane and Stephen Inn did score against Spain in the penalty shootout. Who did? Robbie Keane and Stephen Inn scored the first and last Irish penalty in the shootout. Right. Who have we already named that missed? Conley um, and Caban. And who was the other penalty misser? Conley and Caban, wasn't it? Kinsler? Oh, there was, oh, there was a third. There was Holland, a third. Matty Holland. Matty Holland. Oh, yes. The second penalty. Now, it seems that the people in the comments are very interested in this, so I'll put it out there for the people. Can anyone tell me who missed for Spain in the shootout? Because there were two players who missed for Spain, which I did not realise. Two players missed. I'm going to put it out there. We can get back to it if you like. I was, I was surprised by it. I thought we'll Spain minutes. were all over. You, 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 know, so you know the names. They're not like... Oh, they're, these are well-known players of the era. I'm not saying that they're legendary, iconic players that would go down in the history of football, but well, if you knew your football from that time, you say, would know these two players. Because they were out on Luis Enrique, and then you're like, well, they're not iconic. Guti so didn't miss, did he? Neither played. No, Guti didn't take one. Um, these two players played at the same club at the time, and that club at that time were so very fashionable in Europe. Valencia. They're no longer... No longer I, I don't even think they're in La Liga anymore, but at the time... They had a very, very good team in the oh, Champions League. Deportivo La Coruña. Oh. And the two players were good stuff. Did Fernando Hierro play for? No. No, no, no. no. He, was, he's, he's, he took Tr- the first penalty and scored. Scored. Tristan? No, he didn't take one. He wasn't oh, Spanish, I don't think. He didn't take one. Uh, Ruben Baraja of Valencia took the second and scored. Okay. And then penalty three and four by Spain were missed before Geiske Mendieta oh, broke our hearts. chance to win. And we want to know this morning... Who missed the penalties three and four? Spectacor is saying Joaquin missed. That is not true. Oh. And Spectacor, the top is Satellite Taxis FC, not Baca Juniors. Mm. Thank you for the question. Every day I come in and it's like, oh, he's wearing his pocket top again. And then I remember that there's a really boring backstory to this. <laughs> Whoa. He's just dying to be asked. It's like the Spa Grand Prix. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> were you at the Grand Prix? <laughs> Go on, Satellite Taxis. <laughs> I've already done it, sir. I've already done that. I, I don't even think you were here for it. <laughs> I, I, have told, I have told people the, the Oh no I was there for it we had, to, we had to get somebody on from Satellite Taxis it was like such a oh, big yeah. deal Oh yeah people were getting on to, and the, sh- the, the car business league were getting on to us I got a thumbs up there right. 7.52 this morning um, Guillaume Balaga joins us Guillaume good morning to you how are you? Morning I'm okay We um, <laughs> The bit that you missed there while we were setting you up on, on Zoom was uh, we were actually going through a penalty shootout that Spain won in the round of last 16 just to torment ourselves here in Ireland it's the only time that you've won a penalty shootout in the World Cup and it happened to be against us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the bad uh, stats accumulate. Do you know how many games we won since 2010? Just uh, We've been in three World Cups since. Have a guess. How many games we won since 2010 in a World Cup? Jesus, none. It's none. In the knockout stages? In the three. Or generally? No, no. In group stages, knockout mm. stages. Just, just three. Yeah. Just three. Against Iran, Australia and Costa Rica. So uh, I'm starting to think that 2010 was the exception to the rule. 
that actually we're not we're not that good when it comes to uh, the World Cup. And yet it all started so brilliantly with the best young players in the world announcing themselves on the global stage and it felt like it was going to be a month of those teenage and just out of teen tyros. Where did the great form of the opening match, Where how did that dissipate? Um, it, it may have felt to you that the, that was the beginning of a great journey. It didn't feel to me at all. Uh, and there was not much trepidation in Spain with this team either. Uh, the fact that Gabi was um, considered one of the best youngsters in the world is something that uh, surprised me a little bit. Because yes, he's very busy and uh, takes, you know, still possession and does a lot of other things. But but he's not at the level of Musiala or, or Bellingham or Pedri. Pedri, yes. But generally, it just felt like we were trying to reproduce an idea that was successful in 2010 because of the players we had. Yes, because of the idea as well, but especially because of the players we had. And as the, the tournament progressed, what was happening is that we were, we were actually uh, losing power. Um, so we scored the first goal against Costa Rica and scored six more. We scored the first goal against Germany, but we could have lost that game. It was a draw. Um, we scored the first goal against Japan and lost the game. And we couldn't score one single goal against Morocco in 130 minutes of time, if you count the injury time. So along the way, you could see why uh, it was never going to happen in this World Cup. Uh, and and there is a, there's a long list of things that I can just... Uh, I've, got it, I've got it in my head, so whatever you wanted, I'll put them out there. Yeah, go on. Tell us, tell us what those long list of things are. We don't have a striker. We decided not to have a striker to actually hold the ball when we are under pressure or to, you know, that can finish crosses. So we, we didn't put crosses in. We don't shoot from outside the box. Our tempo, our rhythm, which is such an important thing for a style like ours, one to touch football is what it should be, moving the ball around from side to side quickly to create spaces. None of that was happening. Physically, we are weaker than most oppositions. We're not very pacey up front either. Um, we had to put a centre midfield as a centre back, and actually that didn't work too bad with Rodri. But but in any case, uh, we used the same midfield all along. When you could see, as I said, that we were not controlling. We had possession, but weren't controlling what was happening on the pitch. We we don't, we're not very good at set pieces. We didn't. We didn't have alternatives when things didn't work our way, and we knew. We always knew we were going to suffer against Japan or against Morocco. Those teams that defend not very low, but in the middle of the park with lines very close together, with no intention of having the ball. We always knew we were going to suffer against that. What is the alternative to that? There was none. And we had a, a manager that personally, I think, is growing on me and on everybody else with Twitch and uh, and his conversations on Twitch and, and just generally because he does uh, this thing which is very useful right now, which is that he doesn't give too much importance to things. This is a football, this is a game. Football is just a game. I'm happy with that, no problem. But of course, uh, he also had this uh, fundamentalist way of doing things. It's his way or no way which meant that he he fitted in the squad players that weren't the best, but were the, one, the best for his idea, which meant that we had to leave home some players that that have been shining in recent months and would have offered something different. So, okay, we tried that now. 
it worked well in the European Championships, you have to say, in the Nations League is working well as well. But for whatever reason, and that's where we all have to, you know, add in this debate, for whatever reason in the World Cup, it's just failure after failure, continuing with the same idea. Is this idea obsolete? I think it is. I think partly it is. And we have to update it. And uh, Luis Enrique didn't manage to do that. And so that's a big question then, obviously, if <clears throat> if he's fundamentalist in his belief in the system, which has not worked at this time, can he change? And is it right that he'd be given the opportunity to change? Or is it actually better for everybody if he goes and has his fundamental fun, fun, fundamentalist system at a club where he can actually impact it week, week in, week out, day in, day out? Um, a lot of things there. One, I do believe that he, if he had an opportunity to go to the Premier League tomorrow, he will do that. His contract finishes uh, after the World Cup, after this World Cup. Uh, but there is no opening. Uh, that's the first one. Secondly, he wants to honour the relationship that he's developed with the, with the president of the federation and, and Molina, the director of football. Um, in that, he says, you know, he will be there all his life. And you know what? There is something to say about some uh, um, learning from mistakes and, and the same manager to continue uh, a project. I, I, I don't have... Um, much opposition to that. And if it's Luis Enrique, even better. But under the condition that he he looks at what's happened and he's more flexible. Uh, he When he went to Barcelona uh, in his first season in January, there's this famous story in that uh, Messi comes back late from holidays with the permission of the club. But then that meant that against Real Sociedad, first game of the year, um, this is the Christmas holidays, uh, he uh, stays on the bench. He didn't like that. Next training session, there's a bit of a clash between Luis Enrique and Messi. And uh, Luis Enrique, his first intuition was like to punish Messi. He gets told, actually, be more flexible, but becomes more flexible, changes some of the perceptions that he had and some of the rules that he has. And Barcelona won everything, Champions League, League, Cup. That flexibility is necessary here now. So if he wants to continue, and the Federation will have to determine that, uh, it's in the Federation's hands, of course. He will have to just come up with with new ideas. Um, but I do feel that um, you have more opportunity to do so, as you just mentioned, at club level. And I would like to see Luis Enrique at club level if he finds he has the energy for it now and and uh, and that everything in his life allows him to um, spend time away because he wants to go abroad, he wants to go to the Premier League, possibly bringing, I'm sure, bringing his family but that is very, very important part of his life, of course. So it's up in the air what happens next. If you ask me, I'm the president of the federation. I would say, okay, Luis Enrique, I'll give you until the Euros because he's in a year and a half. But you have to be more flexible. Uh, how will the Spanish media generally react to this game? Like, will there be a fall guy? Will it be Enrique or Pablo Sarabia for missing the chance at the end, or any of the the three who missed the, the penalties? The first, the first thing. Let me give you the context. You are with Luis Enrique or against Luis Enrique. And most of the press are very much against Luis Enrique because of the way he behaves with the, with the media. He's, uh, I've had the, the best experiences with Luis Enrique. I've got no complaint personally. But I know that, um, for instance, in the, uh, in the preview, in the press conference just before the game against, uh, uh, against Morocco, he picked every question and, and, and had a comment on the question like, that's a cliche, that's a stupid question. That's, you know, you obviously don't know anything about football, which was not necessary. 
he was doing it for a reason, I imagine, to absorb all pressure, to distract the attention. I don't know. But obviously, the media who makes the question and have prepared it, and they weren't bad questions, some of them, is like, again, what, what, what you need to behave like that? So with that in mind, it's that easy to go from there to headlines that says failure and him to be blamed for the failure. Uh, nothing is innocent in this world. So, yeah, there is, there is a lot of criticisms in, in, you know, in Spain, radio shows, the midnight radio shows are huge and they, they set the agenda. So I listened to some of them and you could see that there was, uh, there was payback time and, uh, and there was a lot of, uh, right. It's down to Luis Enrique. It's down to the way he does things. Uh, he doesn't need to be like that. He doesn't need to treat us like that as if treating the media was relevant to the result. But certainly it's relevant to the to, to, to the media. And when they have to judge, that stays in the back of their minds. But generally the headlines, yes, it's about, you know, it's another failure. It's it's the only you accumulate reasons to say that okay, twenty ten was great, but before that we just couldn't manage to get past the quarterfinals. And uh, and after that, we haven't been able to pass the last sixteen. So we don't compete well at, 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 at world stage. Why is that? And what do we have to do now to change that? It's in the hands of the Federation again, uh, the alternative to Luis Enrique, which will be more of the same, perhaps a little bit more flexible. It may be Marcelino, which is like going to another extreme. Marcelino, former Valencia and Athletic Club manager, who likes direct, much more direct football, 4 for 2 solid 4 for 2 always 4 for 2 uh, with a couple of um, uh, forwards, a, a tall one and a short one. And uh, it's simple, simple football, uh, but mm, likes counter attack, likes defending deep and likes to do a lot of things that uh, we haven't done. But I don't know if we have the players for it again. So I'm confused <laughs> about what has to come next. It's always the, the the way after a defeat like this, where there's a, a national outpouring and an inquest. And, and and you've been very good with your time. The the point of um, him being on Twitch, I think, is is also a bit of a stroke of genius, and that it gives the fans access to his actual innermost thoughts without the interpreter in the middle of the media. And I suspect that's one of the other reasons why the media are a little bit upset. It's like, hang on a second, how, how are you getting your message out there without us to interpret it? So it's a very complicated situation you have at the moment. Yes, but you made a very good point. Uh, no filters, he says. Yeah, I'll, I'll come to you with no filters. That was his message at the beginning of his Twitch career. And uh, all the money that he was making, and he, he's got like 200,000 followers already, uh, he, he goes for charity. So we've seen a completely different side to it. I wrote, um, having listened to the all the, <laughs> I must be like 12 hours of Twitching that he's done, I did a piece for the uh, for BBC, in which he comes out with, um, you could have gone so many ways. Um, he talks about uh, f- formation, development of players. He talks about relationship to his pupils, to his players. He talks about his relationship to football, what's important to him in life. A lot of things that you can get a book out of from, from that. But yeah, he was pushing the media aside. Um, it was, Joe, it was a, a very interesting way of communicating. And, and you know what? If the federations of all the nations are brave enough, it's a great way of, uh, of getting people engaged. Um, there wasn't much uh, attraction for this national side. There was, there wasn't screens in the streets, and uh, there were people weren't meeting in bars. The, I think partly uh, in a big percentage because it's winter. It's uh, it just just doesn't feel like a, like a World Cup from that point of view. There wasn't in Spain the negative press that you got in the UK and in other parts of the world. 
Um, I think that's wrong. I think we didn't really analyze the World Cup properly. We just thought it was just a football, a football tournament. But in any case, what that meant, plus the winter, plus the fact that the national side um, weren't that attractive, uh, it just meant that there wasn't enough, there wasn't enough interest. And uh, and I don't know how much of that plays a part because we are miles away from from Qatar. But in any case, um, it meant that. Somehow we needed to get uh, engaged, and Luis Enrique managed to do that in, in in a big way through through his conversations on on Twitch. But all the all the managers should do that; they shouldn't be scared of it. Um, but it's difficult to stop saying certain things. So I guess managers prefer just to go to the press conference, yeah, uh, avoid that, and uh, and move on. Game, you've been great with your time. Thanks so much, and um, we're sorry for your trouble. <laughs> <laughs> thank you thanks a million we'll go, we'll go on though exactly we've no choice <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah brilliant right. stuff from uh, Guillaume Balga there this morning in reaction to um, I was really disappointed I thought that team was going to yeah reach some kind of flattering yeah. and outpouring I mean I'd, I'd love Luis Enrique in the Premier League I would especially if he's twitching and, and putting I mean that'd be mad wouldn't it yeah. but um, I say it'd be mad but it's like what loads of other it's just that it's never manager who does it. It's it's yeah. it's, um, it's not the Premier League culture either. Like it, it, it seems no, to be more of a continental thing to be more open. But like, I'd also love him to stay at Spain and, and have success and take this young team through to the Euros and then ultimately the next World Cup. Mm. Uh, right, it's competition time here on OTBAM. The Leopardstown Christmas Festival takes place from December 26th to the 29th, so Stephen's Day for the next few days after that, and it's a great day out for sports fans, socialites, and thrill seekers alike. Every day this week, we have two hospitality places for the Leopardstown Pavilion to give away. You'll get a reserve table, lunch, chat and tips from top tipsters and much more besides. To enter, comment with a crying laughing emoji on our main Twitter page, at Off The Ball, and you're automatically in the hat. Please remember to ensure that your DMs are open because that's how we will contact you and everybody likes to have their DMs slid into to say, hey, we've got some stuff for you. <laughs> and we actually do have some stuff for you. The Leopardstown Christmas Festival, December 26th, 29th, tickets and €35 available at leopardstown.com. After this short break, Keith Wood's on the line as Steve Borthwick is set to replace his mentor, Eddie Jones, in the England hot seat. Right, OTBIM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Keith Wood is with us. Keith, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? Nice, quiet week uh, in rugby. We don't don't get this very often. We certainly don't get one, but when two come along like uh, like Dublin buses, it's amazing. Yeah, pretty... um Pretty crazy on the back of the autumn international, seeing two international coaches going down the Swanee. Um, yeah, it's been pretty, uh, pretty crazy actually. But has Brian Ashton kicked out after a, a November internationals? Is that my, it's in my head for some reason? I can't actually remember now off the top of my head. But it, like the November internationals are supposed to not be that important in the grand scheme of things. Like you don't play for a trophy, you don't really get any prize money. It's the games happen. And they're supposed to be like an opportunity for us all to measure ourselves against the the best from the other hemisphere. But now it's costing people their jobs. Yeah, I was trying to think my way through that um, over the last over the last couple of weeks because I think we 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 called um, pretty much both of these a couple of weeks ago because of the pressure that the teams were under. Um, but I think you have to take uh, there may you may not be playing for for a title, but. Um, I think it comes down to the idea that the fans and the sort of contract with the fans is that you perform at your best and you try and win all the time. And from England's perspective in particular, every single time Eddie Jones came out, he said, well, look, we're preparing for the World Cup. 
And it almost felt as if he was obsessed with that idea that it was that overall else. But it's that's only once every four years. And um, I will say from an IRFU perspective that Ireland has consistently said we have to win every game that we go and play. Now, they don't always win it, but they try and they tend not to take too many things for, for, for granted. Um, I felt the booing uh, coming off uh, after the last game. Um, and I thought Eddie Jones' reaction to that, he, he just didn't gauge that sense of uh, a feeling that was out there that this wasn't good enough. And the idea was that he said that he didn't care what people thought. Um, well, he probably cares now, I think. And, and, you know, I think sometimes you can be so isolated in, in that bubble in that you're, that you're not taking a, a full view of the sentiment that happens around. And, Look, the reality of sports, sports are very unusual business. It's a, it's a kind of crazy business that may or may not make money. Um, it's incredibly hard to make money with it, but its shareholders are fans that pay um, a bit of money to turn up and see uh, um, people perform all the time. And if they don't, they get the chance to make their voices heard. So, look, I think it's a really strange moment in time. Like there was a huge amount of criticism in the last couple of weeks about the lack of entertainment at the English games, about the fact that people were having to pay 140, 45 quid to go to a match, that that is a lot of money and it is a lot of money. And that what was being shown on the uh, on the pitch was just not what people were actually willing to pay for. So, so he's gone. And like, I have to say gone 10 months out. It's very unusual. Um, I think um, it feels as if he may have lost some of the players, but I don't really know. And I haven't spoken to any of the players. We're kind of speculating from, from the outside in. Um, I will say that from watching rugby for pretty much all my life and watching uh, Eddie, and I don't know him, I've met him a couple of times, but I don't know him really. Um, Eddie, for the first two years in every single job he has, has had unbelievable success. But the sustainability of that over a longer period of time is where he seems to have come a cropper. So um, uh, I think his chance and his opportunity was to win in the World Cup in 2019. Um, I was at those two games, the semi-final and the final that they, they won and lost. Um, they played beyond the best I've ever seen England play in a semi-final. Um, and then they got blown away in the final. And I think he had put all his eggs pretty much in that basket and he's had to try and figure out how to do it for the last four years. Um, and he's had some success in the four years, but in this last year, um, a lot of what he's been saying sounded a little bit hollow. Uh, Keith Clive Woodward has had plenty to say on, on uh, Jones in recent weeks um, and during his tenure. Um, like He made the point that you know, he maybe loses focus on the game by game uh, and has the big picture thoughts ahead of the World Cup. Is there an argument in there somewhere that maybe he's too focused on, on the big picture? Oh, I think so. I think that's a very, I think that's a very valid... Um, a very valid element. And I remember having a conversation with Philip Brown a long time ago, who was chief executive of the IRFU. And he's, and his view was the bread and butter is the six nations. It's what funds pretty much everything. And you have to concentrate on that. And the further up you are there, the better it is. And it is the bedrock of all the financials for the game in Ireland. And 
Yes, you do want to be at the the top table of uh, always, but you can't sacrifice it. So there's a balancing act that has to happen there, and I do think that that's that's fair. I mean, Eddie was incredibly successful with England, and like I'll go back and and say that game, England against Ireland in Twickenham, was a very um, or even the one in Dublin the year afterwards. Sorry, the one in Dublin um, where England turned up and just blew Ireland away. I think that was 2018, maybe 19. Um, again, that was a performance that was with a, a fairly set team that were on the top of the ground. Um, he has chopped and changed relentlessly since, you know, and we would say, and we've discussed this always, that consistency is key in selection. There's been no consistency in his selection. So the amount of players that have been tried and discarded. So, uh, look, I think... I think there's a lot of people would be would be fans of his, and there's a lot of people that uh, may not have had the chance to almost be fans of his as players. You know, I think there's a lot of guys were brought in and went very very quickly. I think it's a like we enjoyed the caricature of him and his dealings with the press on the show. So uh, it's going to sound hypocritical, but I, I I do think that it's actually a more complex character than that. The the accusations that came out about how he managed his staff and how difficult it was to be somebody on his team were never properly refuted. They, they never presented a case that said, no, that's, that's all nonsense. That's just somebody who's disaffected. Because there was so many people who found that it was difficult to work with, that his his manner was too abrupt, that, that the interpersonal relationships with the people who were carrying out the day-to-day that makes his role successful weren't enjoying it and didn't feel like they were cared for. It's interesting that um, people talking about Bortwick this morning are talking about the fact that you know he's he's driven he's um, he wants to win but he he genuinely cares about you and it's like well this is chalk and cheese it's the stereotypical overreaction we're going to go for the person who's kind and soft and also has all those other attributes but to to get back to to Eddie Jones like at the same time he's built this massive squad of players who have been exposed at some level to what his demands are and by the time the World Cup rolls round irrespective almost of the injury profile, there are going to be a lot of players who are available for England who've had some taste of international rugby. Borthwick's going to get the benefit of that. And all of a sudden, I do think that there'll be a a new coach bounce, a bit of freedom from that oppression, and that actually they're going to be very, very dangerous next year in the World Cup now. I think they will be dangerous. I think England have an incredibly good draw. Um... And because of that, and they also have a history of playing really well in big competitions. So, uh, and especially in World Cups. And because of that, you would expect them to have a big bounce. Um, I'm, I'm not sure I agree with the fact that a lot of players have been exposed to international rugby. Um, and that, you know, they get the benefit of that. If you're dropped in and play and then don't play again for 10 or 20 tests, that's not of a benefit. That's more destabilizing almost, you know. And I, I, I think in his rush to be successful, I think he has been a little bit loose with, with his selection policy and players have been picked um without maybe having played enough rugby to have been picked. And and it's when that when that works out, it's fantastic because you look like a visionary. But um Look, I think there's a very emotional component to sport and I think it is high performance and you can't, you, you can't suddenly say that there is 200 players that are good enough to play for England at high performance level. I don't think that that's appropriate actually. And, 
yes, you can say that you can only really find that out if you test them in it. Um, but that's where a good coach is. He makes the right call at the right time and you have to earn the right to play. And I think that that becomes part of it as well. Look, I think it's very complex. I also think there's been a really interesting um, uh, shift on an entirely different sport in the last week. And I don't know whether you watched any of the uh, the cricket in Royal Pindy, um, but Ben Stokes is the English captain and uh, Brendan McCullum as the, that, you know, the New Zealand, New Zealand coach that's in has given their team a freedom to take the risk and fear losing and having no opprobrium going with it if they lost. Um, and there's a level of swashbuckling that hasn't been seen, you know, and, um, uh, Michael Atherton wrote whether this was the day that this cricket changed forever, which is a really interesting thing to write in the week of a game. Um, and you're holding that up as a mirror to say that England were a bit stayed for a while in cricket and now they're suddenly playing with a, a flair that has not been seen before. And I think that in some respects, there's an element of this. Is there any way of getting a bit of that freedom into the thinking of English rugby? And I think, no, I don't know that Borthwick is that necessarily but um, but that is a proper change that's happening already. But I would still expect Borthwick to get a a fairly good visionary coach to work with him. He needs somebody to challenge him as well um, and to make him, you know, he's done an incredible job with Leicester. But it's whether there will be that big, huge shift that a lot of people are looking for. And it's quite interesting. But I think for the most part, people would like if not on maybe on this side of the pond, but on the far side, they'd want England to start winning again. And yeah. um, having lost a lot of matches this year, you know, the knives are out. Suddenly the Six Nations takes on a wholly different bent. It's not just preparation for the World Cup. Borthwick needs some wins early. Warren Gatland needs to show some sign of improvement immediately in the door. Now, obviously, he knows exactly what he's walking into and seems to have negotiated some form of long-term involvement in the grassroots Reevaluation of the sport. Maybe that's just hype, and maybe he's just there for the next 10, 12, 14 months, whatever, and then he, he rides off again. I don't know. It'd be very interesting to see what the long term is. In the short term, going back to Gatland is a very interesting decision by Wales. What did you make of it? Well, I thought it was the right decision. And again, we spoke, we spoke about this last week. I thought that was the right decision for Wales and maybe for, for Gatland. Um, not everything has gone his way since he finished with Wales. Um, they know him and he knows them. He has managed to get more out of Welsh rugby players over the last 10 or 15 years than could be thought possible with the performances that they've had in the European Cup um, or in the, the Celtic League. So... Um, I thought he was the right man to come in to do that. And I don't know that that's such a huge change. I think there's a huge comfort blanket for everybody from the administrators down to the players to say that, okay, we have a guy that has led and succeeded with us before and he is the guy that they can rely on to do it again. And look, I think he'll, in a short period of time, get the players onto a mindset where there's no doubt and that's something that he does do very well. And if that happens, I think it'll get rid of a lot of some of the, the sort of flakiness that's happened in Wales in the last period of time. So I think it's very tough on Pivac. I don't think he got a chance. And um, Shane mentioned Clive Woodward earlier on. 
Um, Clive failed a lot before he won the, the, the World Cup. And sometimes it depends on whether people get an opportunity and a chance to kind of go and do things. So Pivac hasn't. Um, and they've gone back to tried and trusted. But I, I also think that there is not a sense of panic necessarily, but a sense of pragmatism that's involved in the Welsh Rugby Union. They're, the game is hemorrhaging money and they need something to hang their hat on. Who better than the guy who um, was at the head of four Grand Slams? Keith, uh, Sam Warburton was making the point, I think it was in the papers yesterday, and look, hindsight's great, but he was basically saying that England maybe missed a trick by not going for Gatlin themselves. Uh, like, could Sweeney and co have maybe pulled the trigger a little bit earlier on Jones to get to get in there ahead of Wales, or is that just nonsense? Yeah, I didn't. I don't think it's nonsense, but I didn't see it happening. Um, I, thought, I thought the fit for Wales, for comfort, for pragmatism, for... Um, an acceleration to happen to the World Cup. Um, again, Wales are on a decent side of the draw. Um, uh, I, I would have thought that it, it was easier for Gatland to go in there than to have to deal with, you know, some of the criticisms he'd have had about the English players and English things over the last period of time. And, you know, there's a far more of a uphill battle to go with England than there, than there is with Wales. So I think it's a good fit for him in Wales. In England, I was like, I was, I was really interested to see that it was Richard Cockerell was there as an interim, but that was the first noise that came out. And then you realize afterwards, well, actually, they are going for Borthwick and they're going to try and sort that out straight away. Um, because I thought they were looking at something only for a short period of time and it needs to be a longer period of time. So, um, no, I didn't. I, I just didn't see that happening. Actually, I didn't see the uh, Gatlin going to England as as the option. I just thought it was a better fit with him in Wales. Will Gatlin be successful? Does he also need a very beefed up coaching ticket as well? Um, well, I think he will be looking for. I think he'll be looking for an additional spark. Um, one of the main sparks for him has been Sean Edwards and when he was successful in, in most of the places that he was Edwards was with him or Farrell with the Lions um, he's not going to have either of those so he will need somebody else with him I think um, but Wales are kind of on their on their knees a bit at the moment and uh, look a guy who can fight his corner and get the team on one um, uh, you know on a on a on a fully focused style, that's what Warren knows. So he'll do it, and uh, I think they'll be. I think they'll be very tricky to play against first out in the Six Nations for Ireland. Um, no, I think I think Ireland's game is more mature, and is able to dismantle different teams at different times. But that's reliant on us having a, a full squad to be able to do it. So. Um, and as we've watched uh, over the last period of time, when Johnny is playing and Johnny's on song, it's very hard to play against Ireland because there's there's uh, he puts a, a sense of comfort on a team. Yeah. Without him, we're not quite the same. So um, you know, it's uh, you know you can't make these calls this far out from, from yeah. the Six Nations. No, fair enough. Uh, they're obviously also on the same side, the same half of the draw as England. So I'm sure there was a lot of attraction from Gatland to uh, come in and see if he can work some magic quickly. The the uh, Heineken Champions Cup 
comes back this weekend. Uh, big game for Munster, big game for Leinster. Um, there's obviously a lot of uh, uh, storylines from the, the Leinster Racing game. I do want to get your thoughts on what success looks like for Munster in the Heineken Cup. It's such a weird format to the competition now. It's not the old-fashioned, straightforward, really easy-to-understand format that we've had for so many years, and heaven knows why we changed it, but we are where we are. Uh, what what does constitute success for Munster, given that there's been a slight uptick in performance and quality over the last three weeks? Well, if I just touch on the competition first, just beforehand, um, I spent quite a while looking, looking at this last night, and... Um, there isn't a huge amount of rhyme or reason to to having two pools and having different kind of groups playing against each other in, in different ways. Um, and I have to say, and I just think it's, I think it's uncomfortable for me having European competition and having matches down in South Africa in the middle of summer. Um, I just, I don't know whether that's to do with too many flights or, um, you know, teams having to kind of pull and drag from different conditions all the time in the middle of a competition. It For me, it, it just doesn't ring right, so I'm uncomfortable with that anyway, right? So that's the first part to it. Um, the second part is for, for Munster. Munster can only look for performance. Um, if they set everything out as being success as X number of wins, um I don't think they're far enough in their journey. And I know people will say, God, they've been on a journey for such a long period of time. Yes, they have. And um, there's been um, ups and downs in that in that time. Most of the ups have been one-off victories and the downs have been a sort of uh, a lack of trophy. Um, but uh, look, I think Munster started really slowly this year. And I think they would have liked to have won a couple of matches at the start and taken some of the pressure off and they haven't and it's put pressure on. There has been green shoots over the last period of time. The match against South Africa, some of the URC games, some of the victories. Um, it looks like they're trying to play a different style. Um, and we know that that takes a period of time. And so I, what I would be looking for is a high level of doggedness from, um, from Munster in Thoman Park, a, a performance to be proud of and to raise the crowd uh, and for the crowd to support them in 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 in, in kind um, and see whether that gets to a victory. In times past, it has often got to a victory and it's been good enough. Um, I have to say, Toulouse are, um, Toulouse are a fantastic side. They're a consistently fantastic side. They had their downs a few years ago and they've come back and they've come back by... Um, Yes, they have a, a large salary, and but they have invested a huge amount in youth. It's and really paying off. Monster are on that path at the present moment in time, yeah. and which is gratifying to see, actually. So, look, I'm looking for a re-engagement again in Thoman Park. Um, uh, I thought last year there was a there was a sense of something fantastic in in the Aviva in that game that ended in a draw, that ended in a kickoff. Yeah. Um, I thought there was a re-engagement and it fell the following week. Well, it was almost too high a step. So, yeah. um, I, look, I think it's you want to win your games at home, but this is an unbelievably big game for them to win. All right. Keith, we leave it there. Good stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers. It's Keith Wood giving us uh, the thoughts on the developments this week in rugby. Your views to 087-9180-180. If you want to text it to us, you can WhatsApp us on that, of course, and uh, you can also get us on YouTube 
facebook.com forward slash off the ball. Good morning, Jess Kelly. How are you? I'm great. How are you? You come um, uh, laden down with gifts. For everybody watching, this is the start of our Christmas gift guide, specifically for the gamer in your life. Our gaming preview is brought to you this morning in partnership with Virgin Media. Bring your A-game with 99.9% broadband reliability. You've got a lot of stuff. Yes. Where do we start? Uh, we're going to start at the affordable end of the spectrum because people think that buying something for a gamer has to be super expensive. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday about doing this and he was saying one of the worst mistakes somebody can buy or someone can do is buy a gaming title for a gamer in their life because if they're a serious gamer, they either already have it yeah. Or there's a specific reason why they don't have it. Yeah. So last year, one of the biggest titles that was coming out was called Cyberpunks. This has been, you know, there was a huge lead up to it. It was m- the most anticipated game in such a long time. A huge amount of money and effort was pumped into it. And then when it came out, it was glitchy AF. And a lot of the gamers were so disappointed by it. All of the forums were taken over by people having a bitch and a moan, saying it was dreadful, saying it wasn't worth the hype. So I know a lot of gamers who really wanted the game, but didn't want to have a bad experience with it. So have still yet to buy it. So if you're not sure what to buy for somebody, but you know the console they have, what I would recommend is getting them a a streaming pass. So if you're not a gamer yourself, you may not know that there's been a huge shift in the recent years in terms of how games are sold. So before you'd have to go to a store, get a physical copy, then you could download them. Now we have essentially the Netflix version of gaming. So Xbox has their Game Pass. Uh, The Game Pass Ultimate is a three-month membership card. It's less than 40 quid, so it's 38.97 to be precise. Uh, You can buy it online. It's a digital download. And that will give the gamer access to hundreds of Xbox games, not only archive titles, but also if a new title comes out, very often they're available to stream on game day. So I think it's a really good present. I'd say there's some amount of awkward conversations at Christmas morning. Ah, thanks, Mini Mum. Um, I do ha- I have that game, though. Yeah. Parents don't have a clue, like. But this, this solves all that It discussion. gets much harder now, because you used to be able to just walk into the room and scan the games that they had, yeah. take a photograph of it, bring it to the shop and go, get me something other than this. Now... It's all online. You're like, oh, I have to log on and like <laughs> check what. It's, it's very know. difficult. This, this is the solution to that. Exactly. I, uh, PlayStation have a version as well. And if you don't want to spend, like if you have a KK, an office KK, and you have a limit of, say, 15 quid, you can also get a one-month membership. So if there's a gamer in the office, um, it's a really good solution just to try and tip the cap. You get them a nice gift. And as I said, they get like 100 games. So that's really good over the Christmas period. Yeah, I, I know who you are. I, I, I pay attention to the fact that you're always locked in your room talking <laughs> to some strangers <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've it's ignored great. me for the last five years. But, but I, I'm okay with that. I love you still, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, just a, a public service announcement, right? Uh, Alexa automatically reports on all, of, all the permissions um, and notifications are switched on for Amazon Shopping. So if you're buying a birthday present around this time for somebody, Alexa will start to pulse and go, oh, there's a little message there. Mm-hmm. And you go, what's the message? Like, oh, that thing that you just bought has now been shipped. Does she say what it is? I mean, your order from Amazon. Okay. No shame on her if she says what it is. I mean, I thought the whole thing about Alexa was whatever you say, say nothing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the, f- the most famous one. Is Jerry Adams in the IRA. I, I'm sorry, I can't answer that. You can answer about the stuff we just bought for someone's birthday. But the only thing is, privacy and these devices don't go hand in hand, as I've been saying for about 75 years now. So, rookie mistake, kid. You have to go in and switch off the shopping notifications on your Amazon Alexa app. Mm-hmm. So that otherwise, because it's automatically linked to your Amazon account. It's, it's, you know, it's great if you live alone, but if you happen to have busy ears, which every, everybody, 
everybody who knows what I'm talking about knows what I'm mm-hmm. talking about here. It's oh, big, big upcoming birthdays can be spoiled. Well, what's the safest way to do that? To search for it's incognito browser, I guess, is the only. Well, no, it's, it's within the settings of the app. So when you're setting up any of these devices, so if you have a Google Home or if you have the Alexa, go into the app on the device and you can go into the settings and then tweak it. So a lot of these companies think they're being super helpful by giving you status updates like, the duh. entire time. Um, just a quick note, if you have an iPhone, that happens as well. It doesn't broadcast it, but uh, it does give you shipping notifications and status updates on your home screen. It'll pop up. <laughs> so again, if anyone's birthday is coming up and they know how to read or recognise pictures on your home screen of your yeah. phone. Just be a bit wary about that. Yeah, so you need to find the one that says shopping and turn off everything because there's about six different types of like, oh, we, ful- we fulfilled the order. Congratulations, you've successfully done it. Anyway, sorry. Yes. We have uh, Chris Doyle, our colleague, walked past and said it looks like Jess is being held hostage in a game shop. <laughs> I asked, am I in the bold <laughs> corner? It feels like I'm in the bold corner with all my little toys. This is where they put me to be quiet. So what's next? Uh, next up is for uh, PC gamers. Again, it's quite difficult to know what accessories to get, but this bundle from Curry's is great. Uh, we've got the four different bits here. So it's the Corsair 4-in-1 gaming bundle. You get a really good gaming mouse that is really high quality. It has uh, pretty heavy-duty hardware within the mouse itself. Uh, it also has a keyboard, a specific gaming keyboard, the headset that comes with it is really good quality. So it's a stereo headset and it has the mic built in too. So if you are uh, playing online against other people, the clarity is going to be great. But also you're getting the full impact of the sound too. Uh, and then it comes with a mouse mat. It's 120 quid. It's a really good uh, like little bundle. It's kind of four gifts in one for 120 quid. And again, it's really good quality. It works with both Windows and Mac OS um, and it's available from Curry's. Okay. Do you have any strong view on the quality of the gaming experience on PC versus any of the consoles? I think it's it, it completely depends on the game. I know that, you know, for those who kind of roll their eyes at the notion of gaming and think it's just kids and teenagers, it's not. This is a huge industry now and there are huge tournaments uh, where millions of dollars are up for grabs in terms of prizes and the PC gamers are incredibly intense and they train and there's stamina involved and you know they know when to pee and they know when to eat and they know what they have to eat to make sure that they have the dexterity to press the buttons and all the rest so it's it's not kind of a like for like I think you get different experiences if you're playing on the Switch versus the Xbox versus PC gaming but I do know that if you are a PC gamer the accessories that you use like the gaming mouse that you use is vital Interesting fact for you, the most popular gaming mouse in the world was designed by an Irish company based in Bray. All right. There you go, little fact fan. Uh, random one for you. So I am intrigued by the whole Formula One game, you know, the, the gaming chair yes, market. Yeah. I th- were you talking before about that? Like, I, I was very tempted to invest in a gaming chair, not least for the Formula One experience, but they're also good for working from home, I think I've heard you say before. Well, so when we all started working from home, somebody that I live with, the only person that I live with, uh, decided to buy a gaming chair that would act... Fair for, play to him. Like, absolute <laughs> idiot. It broke, basically, I'm is the upshot. This. No. <laughs> Come on. Uh, so he bought it, because obviously he needed a good chair to work from home, but also he games a lot. Uh, however... 
although it was good and it was comfortable after a little while the back on it just didn't it didn't have the support and then it kind of did that old office chair thing of creaking <laughs> back after less than 12 months which isn't ideal he was too busy leaning back oh for god's sake <laughs> <laughs> well whether that was work or gaming I can't confirm but uh, I would say if you're going to do it I would invest I wouldn't get the ones that are around 140 euro I think if you're going in go all in and get the quality because otherwise you'll end up buying twice on a cost per use basis Shane you can justify it <laughs> yeah that's a fair point um, okay, so the uh, Corsair 4-in-1 Gaming Bundle is second on our list. Third on our list is the screen beside you. Yes, this is one that I absolutely love and I'm tempted to try and pinch it. It's the Huawei MateView SE. It's €130, Euro, which is a very good price. Um, it's a 23.8-inch monitor from Huawei and it's adjustable. So not only can you adjust the height, but you can also flip it. You can flip the orientation. No, oh, I'm not okay. going to do it now in case it breaks. But depending on what game you're playing or indeed if you're working from home and you want to have multiple monitors set up, you can flip it so that it goes from landscape to portrait and it gives you that bit more immersive experience depending on the game that you're playing. Again, the quality is great. The colours are, like, everything sort of pops from this screen. There's multiple controls. You can add um, different ports. There's a HDM- two HDMI ports, sorry, on the back and then just a neat little port for the cable to go in. So I really like this. And you can see it's not taking up a huge amount of desk space as well because the stand is so narrow. Uh, so for 130 quid, I think this one is great. Easier on the eyes too, Jess? Yeah, 100%. The, like, some of the screens are too glossy. There's a slightly matte finish off this that just makes it a bit easier on the eye. Um, but I think, again, it's a good... Using a traditional PC um, monitor for gaming doesn't offer the best experience, I would argue. Uh, the screen quality of this is class, so I really, really like it. And again, 130 quid. Uh, is there an alternative to just buy another TV? Is that... Yeah. I, I often wonder why you would get the specific of the monitor when a TV has the same functionality or is is there something specific about this that actually would stand out from, say, uh, a TV? So it, it depends on your gaming setup. So if you're a PC gamer, for example, you probably have a dedicated space and you may have, you know, uh, certain space requirements or um, uh, the, limitations yeah, in that in the, that. The field. stand is the first thing, actually, that maybe, oh, it's probably better than TV. Yeah, I think it's a bit neater and it also means then that you're not sort of overwhelming any one room. So if you are somebody who likes to game in the living room, for example, it's not cool, again, saying the snow in a particular, to dominate the entire TV with just <laughs> a solo gaming experience. Uh, maybe have a little monitor in the side of a room. It could be a nice uh, alternative right. for everyone involved. That's uh, why you're stealing it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's a gift for me and for them. Um, so I think it depends. You know, the, the one thing that I've learned over the years is that, like, so I'm a casual gamer. I like dipping in and out. There are people who are so serious and specific about their setup when it comes to their gaming uh, so I know that a lot of people will have a preference in terms of their setup they don't want it too clogged they don't want just one big monitor they might want two or three individual screens that they can hook up together so that you can have live chat in one area and then you can have your main game in another area so uh, it just comes down to personal preference Okay so the bits that you do actually game on you're a Switch fan? I love the Nintendo Switch <laughs> Like, this is my most prized possession, like, 
out of everything. I take it everywhere with me and I know I sound like a child, but I love it. Um, so this is the Nintendo Switch Lite. It's €239. Euro. This is a little sister of the Switch family. So there's the standard Switch that came out a few years ago. Then there's the Switch Lite. And more recently, there was the OLED, which is the biggest one. So it has the biggest screen, the Joy-Cons, so the bits that have the controllers on the side come off. You can connect it to the TV, as is the case with the basic Switch, but not with the Switch Lite. So this is just a purely handheld console, kind of like one of the old school Game Boys. Um, and it has a slightly smaller screen. Battery life on it is great. And the reason I love this is because of the games that are sort of within the Nintendo ecosystem, if you want. So all of the Mario games. I'm obsessed with Animal Crossing, which I know will lose me a lot of cool points if I had any at all. Um, is Animal Crossing basically... You- get an animal across the road and there's traffic. No, it's it's more pathetic than that. There's less jeopardy than there is in that scenario. <laughs> you basically are a little kind of avatar thing and you have to look after an island and you have to clean up leaves and you have to organise things and you have to make sure everyone's doing what they're meant to do. It's kind of like what I do in real life. I was going to say, Marie Kondo, Sim. eat your heart out. It's like Sims on an island, basically. It kind of. Except, except we're tidying up. Yeah, yeah, we're tidying up and we're following the rules because that's what we do uh, and I absolutely love it. If you have someone in your life who used to be a gamer and wants to go back to some of those old school Mario Kart games, uh, the Switch Lite is a great way to go because... Firstly, it's more widely available than some of the other consoles. Um, it's more affordable. And also, it's it's small and compact. So again, you're not dominating the entire house with it. It's also great for younger gamers. So we had a question into the Pat Kenny show yesterday as, you know, is seven too young to get my kid an Xbox? And I said, probably, yeah, just in terms of what's involved with it but also the games when it comes to the Switch Lite you can get um, more educational games you can get very basic games and it's something that everybody in the house can kind of enjoy so I'm a huge fan of the Switch Lite Do you know when you mentioned the Game Boy there like just got a wave of nostalgia yeah. but like you know the way everyone's going for the retro jerseys and the retro clothes and everything at the minute is there a is there a push for retro games and gaming consoles 100%. as well yeah Yeah 100% we a few years ago actually we had uh, with Kenny in the studio we had one of those the original a retro version of the original PlayStation basically that had some of those really really retro Account, I think was it yeah was that the one and like it, it was just great fun they're very very affordable I know 3.ie has an, a retro arcade Pac-Man machine that you can get for 60 yeah. quid so stuff like that are, are definitely coming back uh, but you can also with things like the Xbox Game Pass that I mentioned earlier on and with the PlayStation version you can also get access to a lot of those old games that you would have played back in the day uh, and you can now play it on the newer consoles. The one thing to note is that the majority of the games haven't been upgraded in terms of the quality so you're still kind of getting that grainy old school feel to the game but you're just now playing it on a newer console. Wouldn't Tetris back in your day, Jerry, wouldn't? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I remember the original Atari. (laughs) Jesus. Do you know what that is? Uh, It's the Japanese... Game. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna yeah. Keep it general. Very. Uh, general. Jess, you're coming back. There's more of this. Yeah, we will have more gifts pretty much every Wednesday for the next few weeks. So if you've anything in particular you're looking for or whatever, uh, get in touch and we will dig it out for you. And the best place to get in touch is Instagram. Instagram at Jess Kelly NT. All right, good stuff. Um, more from Jess as we said next week. That is it for now. Our gaming preview is brought to you this morning in partnership with Virgin Media. Bring your A game with 99.9 percent broadband reliability. Right, the Leopard Town Christmas Festival takes place from December 26th to the 29th. A great day out for sports fans, socialites and thrill seekers alike. 
Every day this week, we have two hospitality passes for the Leperstown Pavilion to give away. You'll get a reserve table, lunch, chat and tips from top tipsters and much more besides. To enter, simply comment with a crying laughing emoji on our main Twitter page, at Off The Ball, and you're automatically in the hat. And remember to ensure that your DMs are open. That's how we contact you. The Leopardstown Christmas Festival, December 26th, 29th. Tickets from €35 Euro available at leopardstown.com. Right, a couple of uh, quick live comments for you. Has anybody got the correct answers for the 2002 penalty misses? There was a couple of, a couple of correct answers in, wasn't there? I think. I, I, Am I giving it away now? <laughs> Do, uh, uh, John Duggan is with us. John, good morning to you. Chair and Shane, how are we doing? Do you know who missed the penalties for Spain in 2002? I knew the Ireland. I didn't know the Spanish ones. Okay, well, Who's uh, the Ireland ones, John? One. Uh, David Connolly, Kevin Kilban, Matt Holland. Well done. 100% correct, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. We're ruining the crappy quiz round to make it at home shouting at the radio. Stop it! Yeah. Uh, it was Juan Fran and Valeron. Oof. Both of them playing for Valencia at that stage. Both good heads. No, sorry, Depor. Depor, Team Black Uh CBL secretary says, we, the Cork Business League, have many clubs who remind us all of the intercontinental style of South American football. We love you, Colin Buig. Inspector Corp says, Colin, are you posing for your burner account again? I enjoyed Barney's comment in here. He goes, what was a better World Cup in the young lad Shane's lifetime, if not this one? He wasn't around for very many. He's getting cocky now. By the way, shave the fluff off your face. Um, that last comment was, was unnecessary. Barney, ironically, his name is Barney because he's a dinosaur. He doesn't realise that beards are the in thing. Now, maybe this is fluff on my face, but uh, per Barney. Apologies, Barney. He also says the reason Ronaldo didn't start last night is the young lad Shane gets that in again. And Jer have smeared his name day after day in public. Shane even took his jersey out of his pile of United jerseys that his mother folds. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, so apparently it's our fault that uh, Ronaldo didn't start last night, Jer. The young lad Shane. He's saying that as if it's a, an insult. I'm, I'm delighted I'm young. You, uh, you gifted the Manchester United jersey to a charity shop, I hear. Of course, yeah, yeah, exactly. And my mother doesn't fold my clothes. I'm, I'm well capable of, of doing that the odd time myself. Not folding them yourself. We've no, we've no games for the next two days, so I'm going to have to start doing laundry and folding yeah. clothes. And yeah. John, how are you getting on? Good lads yourselves. Um, you can throw in the World Cup trivia at me, by the way. That's one of my things. Oh. I mean, that's, that is like, that, uh, that's, that sounds like a clarion call to our YouTube users in particular to get the comments in. And to see if we can stump JD. Yeah, you can, you can have a go. We should have some kind of prize for stump JD. Yes. And whoever, whoever manages to get a question that stumps you wins the prize. Yes. It could be... I, I don't have any bobbleheads yet. But. It could be one of the books from the office. Something <laughs> as simple as that. Signed by me. That we don't really have to work too hard to <laughs> sort out. Yes. Um, where, where do you want to start, John? Well, yesterday, and just... Uh, it was interesting that um, Gonzalo Ramos scored a hat-trick against Ireland at the uh, UEFA Under-19 semi-finals back in 2019. Um, I don't know if you mentioned that already on the show. But he'd only played 33 minutes for Portugal, and he only made his debut within the last month. Uh, he has scored nine goals for Benfica in 11 games. Um, but it was the right decision for Fernando Santos. He was brave, and he dropped Ronaldo, and it paid off a 6-1 win. I felt Portugal looked liberated. They were fabulous. Even Leao as... Um, we mentioned in the last few days, came off the bench and scored a really good goal. And you'd have to think out of the eight teams, guys, maybe five are realistic contenders, possibly six, of winning this thing? Uh, yeah, of winning it, right? Because you don't think Morocco are going to win it. Or but, Croatia. But at the same time, they could also have one of those sticky games where they knock out one of the favourites. Yes, in the That's, next round. You know, that could easily happen. The good like, news for Brazil and Argentina and Holland is that... Um, not, to try, not trying to be disrespectful to Croatia, but that England, France, Portugal, only one could get into the final, and all of them would be well-deserving of a place almost in the final at the moment, the way they've been playing. 
Yeah, England France I'm finding increasingly harder to call as it gets closer Mbappe didn't train yesterday uh, has an ankle complaint but they're expecting him to be fit I read the back of the thing was the UK Times or one of the papers or the Guardian England have been preparing for two years to play France in terms of tactics and formations and I'm sure they're penalty takers and everything um, it was really a Italian 90 vibe I felt about Morocco yesterday it was very kind of similar a defensive team that doesn't concede many goals has a nil all draw goes to 120 minutes and then wins and reaches the last day for the first time in their history. Uh, I thought it was an amazing romantic tale. Good to see an African team. Interestingly, John, who was the first African team Hammer to compete in the World Cup? The, but first to compete at the World Cup finals. Oh, was it Tunisia in 1978? I think we've got him. Stumped already. Stumped this, already. This well. bit's gone. It was actually earlier than you expect. Egypt lost Hungary 4-2 in their only match of the 1934 finals. Ooh. There you go. So. Yeah, got to do the pre-war stuff. <laughs> Uh, st- stumped has um, already collapsed that's a tough one though it only took sure. about two minutes for it to be uh, you are right though with Cameroon Cameroon the first in the quarters yeah. to go down in flames yeah. that Ireland 19 team by the way that was beaten I'm just looking through the names Joe um, Hodge was in it Joe Hodge uh, Andrew Omamadeli came off the bench um, after 81 minutes it was too late for that Festi Abaselli played as well uh, Tyreek Wright played um, and so there's a few others really in that side who have yet to reach the same heights as uh as our boy Ramos. Yes. Um, so Spain, to me, they looked uh, they were look, looked like they were shrinking, those players take, going up to take those penalties. Yeah. Uh, the body language was really bad. Um, they're, just, they're just kids, really, aren't they, Spain? Carlos Soler looked like he'd just been told his pet had died. He looked terrified walking up. I was like, literally, if a, if a man could crawl inside himself, he would have. He looked absolutely not the man you want stepping up to take a penalty in the World Cup. But well, body language is key. You could tell he was going to miss. I was doing a lot of stats after COVID around the Premier League and when the fans came back and home advantage became a thing again, as it should, as it was always the case in football. And you really felt it was a home game for Morocco. You wonder the influence of that uh, on, on the Spanish. Um, I think that does matter. So yeah, they're the main things. Uh, uh, like it's, uh, I thought Bushkets looked really nervous yeah. taking yeah. a penalty. And you're like, come on, you've, you've done everything. But he also looked the least nervous of the three, I thought. And yet he still looked nervous. It was a terrible penalty. Yeah, it was brutal. 1,019 passes. That's, that's like literally getting in your car and driving around the roundabout all day. Is, is that no cutting edge on Spain's behalf or is that just Morocco's defensive Spain, Spain did exactly the same thing four years ago. Yeah. They've gone, over, they've gone off the cliff in terms of this uh, possession football mm. uh, without a cutting edge now and a lack of leadership in their team. Exactly the same thing happened to Russia. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're passing around, going around the roundabout all day forever uh, without the... Um, the incision and it's amazing though it's funny how the narratives can change after a 7-0 win over Costa Rica you think well Spain are going to be deep into the tournament and now they're gone home with the Swiss mm, and the, uh, with the shave uh, Sarabia shaving the post at the end as well you're thinking yeah. this is the moment yeah. and then he, when you see him walking up as the first man to take you're thinking no not like that, that chance is not still many, in his head not many players are really hitting penalties there's a lot of placement there's not much blasting there's not much, not much it's pathetic to watch just take the penalty Run up and kick the penalty into the corner. Hard. You tell him, Hannah. Well, I, I, I mean, players are just trying to come up with all these novel, strange ways of hitting penalties now because they think goalkeepers have evolved into robots. But The Neymar go- one was a good... It was good. I, I don't know even how, how to describe what Neymar did. Right? <laughs> well, Imagine you try that in the final, in the penalty shootout in the final. I mean... Didn't and he did it chip, didn't he? Off, yeah, off, 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 yeah, it was like the absolute perfect Paneka. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just some, some news coming through from 
a reporter called Georgina Robertson, who writes about sport for the Sydney Morning Herald and Rugby Heaven. And um, she is saying that she is hearing that Leinster, Leinster Rugby, are courting Scott Robertson for the post-Stuart Lancaster era. Right. That's a big, big move. I mean, you know, uh, this is this is too nice. We 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 can't have nice things in this world. We shouldn't even. Have, we should. It's too, it'd be too hopeful. Imagine that. Oh, huge if true. Woo! That's like legit. This is one of the few times. I mean, that's supposed to be ironic. This is like legitimately huge if true. Yeah, yeah. Break dancing at Viva. This is. Oh. But it, you can't you can't do this because if it doesn't happen, like literally everything after that is a little bit of a letdown. You could have Jesus himself coaching the team. And he'd be like, yeah, but you're not Scott Robertson, Jesus. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, sure, you'd make the water and wine and the people walking and stuff and you'd heal the lame, but you're not Scott Robertson, buddy. Jeez, well, all the Leinster cheese and wine, they'll have to, they'll have to bring in the New Zealand wine. It's good for, stuff. For the, for the Leinster fans. I've always been a fan of the old, the old Marlborough. Bring Roger into Munster and have... Marlborough Red is surprisingly nice. Well, there you go. Bring Roger into Munster and have Scott Robertson and I've never had Roger. New Zealand wine. Have you not? No. Oh, I'm you not, should try it. I don't really know much about wine. I only drink Rioja. It's a big opportunity for you to get into it. It That's is a big like opportunity, a, yeah. yeah. You know, uh, um, if I'm... Try the Priorat. Christmas, okay, the Christmas. Christmas, yeah. yeah. Uh, right. JD, anything else? Not really. Steve Borthwick's going to get that job um, uh, to replace Eddie Jones. Apart from that, it's all about the World Cup. The first day in 17, we will have a rest day today. Jesus. It's been it's been a long time coming. It has been. A lot, a lot of relationships are going to get rekindled. Yeah, you should see um, my stat stock. It's um, burning. It's, right. It's 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 it needs a day off. <laughs> right, JD. Good stuff. Right, Tune into the lunchtime wrap today, bringing you all the latest sports news. It's with thanks to Deliveroo. Check out the app for some great match day meal deals across the World Cup. Deliveroo, food, we get it. Here's what's on OTV Sports Radio for you across the day. Uh, Sonia Sullivan on uh, OTV Gold at one o'clock. Koi gig is there from 3 o'clock. Um, our retro panel is Gambling and Addiction at 4. OTB Gold is Manu Petit from 6. You can follow OTB across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for all the best in the latest sports content. After the short break, we're going to be joined in studio by Brian Gartland, the legendary dog star that recently hung up his boots. Uh, in the ad break, you're going to hear a clip from the latest episode of Koi Gig where Kathleen McNamee, Karen Duggan and Emma Byrne are discussing how Manchester United are title contenders this season where they currently sit in uh, second in the WSL. The Koi Gig pod on OTB Sports is in association with Cadbury FC, official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland women's national team. We're back after these. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. It's nearly nine o'clock. You're uh, listening to OTB AM if you're listening to us on OTB Sports Radio. Maybe you're watching us on YouTube where you should hit the subscribe button. Uh, We're here every morning between half past seven and ten o'clock. And I'm delighted to say Brian Gartland is with us, former footballer Brian Gartland. How's that resting with Uh, you? Yeah, first time I've heard that, so it sounds... uh, I'm not dealing with it too well, so it didn't sound too great. But um, yeah, listen, it is what it is. And... uh, it's uh, a chapter, a great chapter of my life, I suppose most of my life so far, that's that's passed by and um, yeah, it's a transition. Looking forward to the future and seeing what it brings but uh, obviously going to miss it terribly. You must, obviously everybody knows at some point you're going to have to stop playing. Were you one of those people who were like, oh, that's definitely going to happen, I'm making plans for that, I'm making peace with it, I'm going to live every moment or are you like, no, I'm not going to think about that until the day before it happens? Yeah, I... I have a few things going on outside football, so everyone was sort of presumptuous and I sort of that convinced myself as well that, oh, that's going to be grand. You yeah. know, you've got other interests, it's going to distract you. But 
Um, I don't think it comes down to that. I think when it comes down to it, I thought it was Peter Pan. Uh, you know what I mean? I always said, play forever, durability for years until it's 34, and then I had a bad injury. And, uh, so I was like, right, 37, 38, if I can stay at the top to that. Now I know people say that, you know, players don't and no one does. Um, they do more the, now than they used to, though. They do now, but in the League of Ireland, it's a different, it's a different story. You're not earning a fortune. You don't have... You can't rest all day. You can't have someone mind the kids and do all the work for you. And, you know, you have to have other things, other stresses come into your life and, and life changes and that sort of thing. So you, you're not sheltered from everything else like you would be at, say, I'm looking at Pepe and Thiago Silva. Yeah. Like, and they have chefs. Yeah, they've got everything, you know. <laughs> um, so that was that was the aim. Now I fell a little bit short of it. So um kept going uh, as long as I could just because I loved the game. Just wanted to play and it's... it's um, it's that that is, I suppose the last while and I knew it's been coming and I was watching the World Cup and like the emotions in the World Cup I think it exemplifies it more than any other football tournament the Premier League and like that I think the World Cup just brings out every emotion yeah. in it yeah. and I'm looking at that like even the intensity of the tackles and the games like from other international games and, and that from the very first group game yeah, and I'm looking at that and going oh Oh my god! Gonna miss that. Yeah, how am I gonna replace this? It's funny. The guy texted. I messaged you during the week, and I was like, "Congratulations!" And then you were like, "I don't know if it's congratulations or commiserations." <laughs> like, how do you should it be? Which should it be? Like, do you, are you happy or sad? Ah, uh, listen, I'm reflecting back on on the career, and you know, I'm delighted with it, and couldn't have dreamed for some of the experiences I had. And it's I suppose the old saying, "Don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened." Mm-hmm. Uh, it couldn't be any truer. And you just gotta say it is what it is, and you get on with it. But yeah, it was. Uh, I posted up the retirement. I, I specifically did it when I was on my own because uh, I'd had a few tears earlier on the day, and then I was sitting on the train down to here. I actually ended up in the pub around the corner, and on my own posted it up. And it took me half an hour. I had it all prepared, whatever. It took me half an hour to press the button. Jesus. So that was just sort of, and it's not dramatic, and it just football just means that much to me. Um, and you're closing the door on it and like I said all those experiences and all those feelings um, and all those people as well you know the, in the dress rooms I've been lucky I've been in some fantastic ones the one at Monaghan was was brilliant and great crack you know a real introduction to it and then some dark over the years I've shared the dress room with special special players and people like uh, we talk about all the, the players that have such talent but brilliant brilliant lads like you know and great respect for each other which you don't always get in, in dressing rooms it's funny how you, you mentioned Monaghan first you won five league titles and, and obviously the the, um, the medals mean a lot because that's kind of why everybody gets drawn into it in the first place but the bit that seems to live with players who play for so long at the level you played at is is actually and it's always a cliche it's like it is, it is the crack and it is the, the people along the way everybody always says it and so it is cliche but it's obviously really fundamentally true that like the thing that keeps you going is the relationships and wanting to help other people and wanting to be part of a team and that's the bit that you can't easily yeah. replace. Yeah, that's it. You, you know, you f- you feel part of something. You belong to something. Um, people rely on you. You're relying on other people the whole time. And like you said, just the interaction. Just You're all working towards something. But at the same time, the crack. Like a, a footballer's sort of uh, banter, I suppose, is the word that's always used. Is It's just uh, you don't get it outside. I don't get it outside the same. Um, and just there's always something there's that many different characters if you've always 20 lads 
in yeah. one dressing room. You're going to have that with different characters. And like I said, Monaghan was brilliant for it. It was my first sort of introduction of that. Um, and I had a manager that um, made me feel really appreciated there. And then who was that? Mick Cook, right? Um, great man. So, and just so much time from. And I was a young lad. Uh, as where did he get you from? From Shelburne, right? So um, and Shelburne had been tough because. They'd lost everyone. They'd gone through the the worries, you know, after the I suppose money problems and that. And we were a young team, so there was a lot of pressure on us in a in a big club. Um, and it was a nice learning curve, but it was you know it was tough, but it was a learning curve. And then Mick then took me to Monaghan, and um, yeah, first experience like that. And every year I was there three years, but we we built something like from Monaghan where bottom half of the of the first division. Yeah, and each year we built something, and then we just got pipped by. Uh, Derry City team that had trouble or whatever, but they had a Premier Division team playing in the in the first division, and we just got pipped there on the end of the season to to the league title. Um, but each year something built, and when you're working towards something like that, and you can see the progression, you f- you feel part of it, like you said. And when you were leaving Shells to go to Monaghan, did you was there part of you that was like, this might not happen for me? Like, did you doubt at any stage that you were going to continue to make it? Yeah, and I'd had a flip like in the space of eighteen months. I've been in Bray's. I was probably about 18 training with Bray's first team and they were mid-table in the Premier the league here was flying there was plenty of money in the country and yeah. uh, Bray's ambition was to get into the European spaces and I had ambition I had this ambition I was chatting with Shane before I was like right I want to get into the first team get into the Irish under 21 get a move away all that and then change of managers and uh, an unfortunate uh, turn of events I ended up suspended for a few months and I just wasn't going to get a look in there so I went to Shells and um, again got experience of playing mightn't have been the best season but it stood to me uh, and then yeah I went down to the bottom and had to had to work the whole way up it's, it, well I'm sorry no, I was just thinking like I was just looking at the, your book is sitting behind you in the studio like I'm just thinking it, mu- it, it must be nice to have gone through that and put these stories down on paper so now you can kind of now that you've retired look back and you have them all documented. It's not, it's not like you're going to yeah. forget anything, you know. You have it I, there. I had said, especially at Dundalk, we were we were winning trophy after trophy, and Stephen always had the thing about being relentless, uh, and that's what we were then. You know, he'd instilled this in us, and each time we won, and listen, we had great celebrations. We we'd enjoy it, and you got to celebrate moments like that. Um, but it'd be the next one. Oh, that's that's done. It's in the back there. It's the next one. It's the next one. It's the next one. I always said when I retire, I'll, you know, I'll enjoy it and look back and be proud. But the book allowed me to do that before I retired, and that was because of COVID and the, I suppose the the lockdowns and football stopped. So um, and it allowed me to, I suppose, I learned a lot. You know, going into all these occasions, all these situations, and reflecting on them, I'm thinking. Whatever opinion I had at the time, I could have actually had a different opinion now when I look back and say, see from, say, someone else's point of view, say, Stephen's point of view, if I had an altercation with him and that. And it's like, right, maybe he was right. But I was a younger lad, if you, you know, it might have been five, six, seven years ago, just going, you know, I couldn't be wrong, it was his fault. Or so, you know, in my head. Yeah, well, to, like, uh, not to labour the point, but to go down to, to Monaghan is obviously, it's, it's, Risky in a way, right? Because it could be the end. That's, yeah, there's like, not much further. You can there's no guarantee you're going to get into amateur football after it. Yeah. yeah, there's no guarantee you're going to recover, but you do recover and end up having like a really great, by any standard, League of Ireland career. So 
in retrospect, it's a great experience to go through. I'm just I'm thinking of all this and your love of football. Like it strikes me that coaching or management is something that would be natural, but you do have extra extracurricular interests like a business that that's going on at the moment. They're not always you can't do these things or it's difficult to juggle all those. Yeah, it is. And um I'm kind of at a, a point where I don't need to decide straight away. I might dip my toe in something but not fall in or you know it um it's a big commitment going into coaching and management. And it's a really hard life. <laughs> yeah. And let's be honest, the industry just isn't here in this country. Yeah. There's only a few jobs that are well paid. You then go back into the to the same thing of I have a young family now and when I met my wife her brother played inter county football so she understood the commitment and and all that and the sacrifices so that was grand before that was just me I only had to worry about I'm making that decision it's me that deals with sacrifice then you have kids to come along I mean you can't have a weekend away that comes from January to November yeah and then you can't have a holiday or you get five days off in June and then mightn't suit with her work to take holidays then different stuff like that or the kids school and different things there's a massive massive sacrifice that comes from not myself then from everyone in the background yeah and it gets to a stage then, I suppose, with the injuries now, and if I go again, I'm going to miss pre-season because I have to have a small little operation. So you're playing catch-up again, and I'm putting through. I'm, I wouldn't be the best at home sometimes when you know when things are going that way. So you're putting everyone through stuff that at home, and they're sacrificing, and is it going to be worth it? Are we going to get the reward out of it sort of thing? So... There's a, lot, there's a lot of variables then that come into it. So would you do a coaching role somewhere to dip your teeth in that way where you don't have all the responsibility of the Brian Gartlands who are coming to the end of their career and you have to manage the, that relationship with them and, and, and you're desperately hoping they come back for another season and they're, you know, yeah. or, or the 19-year-old kid who wants to go off and play in England and is really only kind of phoning in a little bit but needs someone to, to wake him up. Whereas you could just come, do the coaching session, go home and go, I did a great job today. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd I'd be interested in. I'm open to anything really. Right. Like I said, I'm just assessing different options. I have a few different options in terms of that regard. And I um, again have outside interests, but I, I, you know I always want to stay involved with football. And the outside interests I'm hoping do well that allow me to to stay involved in football and have the life I want because like I said the industry isn't here with massive money in football mm. and there's only so many jobs sort of thing so if my outside interests go well then it allows me to to give back on the other side because um, I, I talked about it I'm just finishing my UEFA B course there and talked about it at the end and I said I feel there's a, a debt to repay because I spent all those years as a kid playing all the volunteers all the people giving up their time all who did you play with when you were coming through Knockline United being my local team right and then I uh, I jumped ship to Leicester Celtic just up the road and then uh, controversial yeah, well no that wasn't a controversial one the next one was because Knockline had sort of disbanded the ages changed right. and, or they dropped down league so I had to stay in the in the Premier and Leicester we had to come second I think in semi-final of the All-Ireland so it was uh, it was good team and going places and I, I jumped ship then to Verona over Blanchardstown which for a lad that lives over in Dublin 16 and the M50 was being done it was like an hour and a half two hours to train and I'm back after school but it was a coach that was there and um, I talked about him in the, in the book there Alan McGovern he was with the FEI and I think the Ireland 14s at the time and he took over Verona and he had coached me at Knockline because he was brother-in-law of the, the manager right and I'd say like everything 
I learned in my, in my childhood in terms of football came, came from him in terms right. of just reading the game tactical defending things like that he was just a marvellous coach so uh, so that's why that was the that was the sort of controversial one when I jumped ship over there What what role did Stephen Kenny play in your career and development? Massive um, listen, it's, it speaks for itself that I didn't win anything until I was 27 I went to Dundalk when I was 26 like like I said I went down to the bottom and then just sort of scourged my way around uh, kept working I trained full time myself the whole time and at home I'd, I'd be getting uh, mid 20s I'd be getting a little thing going right, when are you going to get a proper job now or you know how are you going to get a mortgage and the brother then you know he's a few years older would be asking my mother the same questions and there'd be a little bit of pressure coming that way and <laughs> but everything I did sort of was always to allow me to give everything to football and then just when I was about selling for Dundalk that's when I had the decision to make um, I wanted to come back I was up north and I wanted to come back down and I've been training with Shells waiting for them to offer me a contract they didn't Mick Cook was going to Trotter, um but it's mid-season so they, they'd nothing to play with and again the money was very little in the league then 10 years ago and out of the blue Stephen rang me and yeah, my world just turned upside down and I didn't really want to go because I didn't want to travel but I couldn't turn down the opportunity that a, there was just this chance of a medal they were going alright in the league they were up in the top 3 or 4 and uh, yeah when I was thinking right it's time to put everything else further first um, I just said sure I'll give it a that's where the book came from one last shot I'll, I'll give it one last shot and I signed for the rest of the season for 3 or 4 months and uh, yeah sliding doors moment What was it about him that allowed you to reach your potential just gives you belief just belief like his enthusiasm for the game like and his love of the game like I, he'd we'd be doing shooting drills or finishing drills and after like if something came off you know that we'd sort of worked on and then it seamlessly comes off like he'd be off celebrating as well like he'd bring it but the energy is infectious you know and then on the other side of it he's so demanding you don't want to get on the wrong side of him. You didn't want to get on the wrong side of him. You said there if there was an altercation, if we'd had, well, what, what, give us some examples. <laughs> no, not an altercation. Well, I know what you mean, like a a disagreements. You're going to yeah. have disagreements, and like you say, well, you should have done this, and you'd be saying, well, no, I did this, and yeah. you'll have different things. And Does he listen now, to you? As you got older, <laughs> you might have had a little bit more bravery to right. say something. When you're younger, you, and a lot of the time, you just have to say, yeah. Fair enough. My fault, fair yeah. enough, I think. But now and then, you're going to, you're going to give your opinion back, and then you might the next time because you realise <laughs> you're better off not. But um, but that's how the the relationship develops over the over the years as well. Like so many seasons with him, and um, yeah, he just like I said, he's just he just brought the best out on everyone, gave everyone belief and uh, belief to play a way that I suppose no one thought we could, or especially with the players, we didn't have tried and tested proven players in the league. We didn't have loads of league winners and people that have I suppose a history of, of quality behind them And So what do you think when you see the criticism of, of him now as, an, as the Ireland manager from certain quarters it's football it's football in the modern world like you guys will know it better than anyone there's, we take away the football first of all no matter what you do there's going to be a certain quartet that's going to have that other that opposite opinion right because sometimes football doesn't come into it and that's from my point of view that's how I see it because begrudgingly they won't want to say anything good when we do have a good game and then when we do have a poor game 
it's yeah, all in. You know, there'll always be yeah. something. Um, I think the World Cup's the perfect example of it. Like, you've no right to win stuff, but you have to build something. Like, look at all the, the top teams. When you, I suppose, you, you look at all the teams that have caused upsets in the last couple of weeks, and they've been building something for the last while. And it's just about structure. It's about belief and getting something there and bringing players through with that sort of way of playing and belief. I think the point you make as well about there not being a massive industry here where there's only three or four jobs, like, mm. you know, uh, that's the crux of the whole problem is that we used to rely on England... To develop everyone. Yeah, yeah. like coaches, managers, specifically players. And that's gone now. And what do we have in its place? Well, like... Everybody goes, oh, 15 years of underinvestment, but it's actually 100 years of underinvestment yeah. in the league. Basically, since Match of the Day started on the BBC, the League of Ireland has not been successful. Like, there's a kind of clear correlation, cause and effect. Everybody started watching yeah, TV and in then England. When Sky and, came in as well. Sure. Yeah. Sky played for a floodlight to move to Friday night to get them out of the way, you know, for the Premier League. Yeah. Uh, just the old story, I suppose, back in the 90s. And, yeah. You know, so that was even after Match of the Day. There's another sort of thing pushing you pushing you out of the way and if you look at old um, attendances for the league back in the 70s, 80s it was through the roof for 60s, yeah. 70s, 80s mm. because people didn't have access to football every single minute of the day and it does feel low, like in the last couple of years like there's a move from within the league to fix this themselves as opposed to waiting for the IRFU or, or the, the FAI or the government Freudian slip to uh, come in and, and help things and it feels a little bit like we're getting there but it's just, the pace is so slow. It is, but like you say, that it's it's clubs that are making moves themselves. I think uh, the FEI are trying. They've obviously a lot to fix in their in their house. You know, from we all know the the history there. So they're trying and they're, they're making moves forward. I wouldn't be privy to everything that's happening and going on in behind. So I'd like to be um, optimistic and think that they're doing their best, but. Um, what I'd love to see them is lobbying the government more and more and more because like you say like it's such a big game is that you need the support Yeah, you need the support that the other big games get in the same way but at the same time football has to help itself and it has to it has to have a good image it has to do its own work and the clubs I think are doing that and I think if they continue to do that the support will have to come because the communities around the clubs are growing mm. uh, bigger and bigger Bowers are doing a great job it's very tough for the Dublin clubs because of the communities. If you're in a Dundalk, a Sligo, those type of things, you're a one club town. It can be, you know, yeah. you're, the, you're the club. Yeah. But in the Dublin clubs, it can be quite hard. Well, they live right beside each other. Bows and Shells live right beside each other and yeah. their hinterland is exactly the same and so they are competing. And then you've got the multicultural communities in there sort of thing. So it's not a sense of, belong, this is my team, this is my area, I grew up, but you know, yeah. as it would be to Dundalk and stuff like that. So you have different... I suppose things like that so that's why I think Bowes are doing a, a brilliant job in terms of that in terms of commercial and marketing and that side um, they get a bit of stick for it but that's what well, that's what's increasing their revenues and yeah. their budgets bigger and bigger every year when you talk about um, <clears throat> the one last shot like you probably never could have imagined that the European adventures you'd have with, with Dundalk whatever like playing at the Emirates for example or you know taking on top quality teams in Europe that must have been that must have been something special yeah it was uh, it was incredible when you think back at it and you think like Zenit and they've been in the Champions League year after year and you're playing over there in that stadium and the, the lights were something like Friday night lights everyone just remembers them the old fashioned ones and it's an old stadium they got a new one the next year for the World Cup but, uh, and then yeah 
arriving into the Emirates and you're you're pulling up on the bus and their cars are all parked right at the door it's about, <laughs> it's about six G wagons with it someone with diamonds all around them and everything you know and you're just looking oh this is a different it's a different world like Fitzel went for 30 million just after we played him and Javi Garcia was in midfield and Giuliano was then playing in the 10 for Brazil uh, Zuba up front and then Kirschkov the, the record scorer for or cap holder I think it was our scorer for Russia as well up front like and it's just literally when you look through Crescito off Italy and we played Tel Aviv and we we beat them at home that was an incredible feeling I'm playing against Benny Young comes on like and I've been a Liverpool fan you know my whole life so growing up he would have been playing you know Champions League games and Benny Young was actually excellent for them even though he was probably good age at the time but uh, yeah it's just Unreal memories that you couldn't have, I couldn't have envisaged in the League of Ireland. Like, obviously, the goal was to always go to England, it's always to go to the Premier League and the top. It's, it, it strikes me though, you must, be, you must be fairly mentally resilient because, like, you, you, you have that ACL injury in early 2021, and for a lot of people at that age, that would have been, that would have been it. But I mean, you come back, and even last month, you, you played against Derry up there, and you're one of the best players in the pitch. Like that probably led to some doubt in your head as to whether this was the time or not the time. Yeah, um, I, had a, I had a decent game there, the last game of the season, and everyone's saying, "Oh well, you can't retire now." You know, you, you cruised; it was grand, but it's a different story having to do it day in, day out. Mm. You know, and then that's the last game of the season. I hadn't played many games in the season. I think I played five or six because of injury so um, there was a little bit of doubt but then I knew I'd, I'd, I'd injured the knee I'd done something in, in September um, aggravated that knee that it's the ACL and I knew I had to scan it but I decided I was just going to treat the symptoms and we'll scan it at the end of the season because if I scanned it then and it was something that they say listen you can't play with then I won't even get back on the pitch so um, we were worried it was the ACL but uh, it turns out it's meniscus injury, so it's to get that. That's the small op I have to get done. So um, yeah, but listen, like I said, it's it's easy to rock out once every now and then and do it. But to do it regularly is is a, is a different story, and it's hard on the body, like the intensity of the game. And we were in there the last week of the season, and there was two sixteen-year-olds because it was the midterm. Uh, Owen Kenny, actually Stevenson, and Sen and another lad were in, and. I was marking on I think in one of the games and he's big broad lad athletic and I just thought to myself he's 16 or 20 years older than this lad he was 6 when I met him first like I met him when he was 6 and I just thought maybe the, maybe uh, maybe this is a sign as well you know um, but great memories great times and you know sometimes you just have to just have to admit to yourself when when it's time. Well, listen, we wish you the very best of luck. Uh, as I said, it's like a, one of the all-time great League of Ireland careers, and you should be very proud of it. I hope it's a celebration now, and you get to like lean into those celebrations over the next couple of weeks because um, it's a good time for it, you know. Yeah, great time. I'm out with the lads actually for Christmas party Saturday, so there you go. That might be it, but uh, <laughs> thanks, appreciate it. Get some meniscus done after that. <laughs> Brian Gartland there. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. If you want to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. Oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty is the WhatsApp number. Now we're delighted to be joined by Paralympian Greta Streamakaite. I think I've got that nearly correct. Greta, how are you? 
Yes, you did it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no worries. You're here to um, help promote the Goal Mile, which is uh, proudly supported by AIB this Christmas. AIB are encouraging communities across the island to step up together and re-establish the tradition of taking part in the Goal Mile. Check out goalmile.org. Why did you get involved in this, Greta? Um, What I decided to take a part of it, sorry. Yeah, the, the Gold Mile is obviously something that um, it's a <clears throat> long-established tradition. Is it? I was just interested in, in your uh, decision to get involved in helping to promote it. Yeah, I think I think it is a nice it is a nice tradition to be. Like you said, it is a nice tradition to be a part of. You know, it's something that we do. When we do, obviously now there's more times that you do not only during the, only Christmas Day. There's different days that you can do it as well, and you can find them on the website. But I think it's something nice to do. First of all, to do it with your friends, with the family. You know, you can walk it, you can you can jog it, you can set a goal. You know, during a certain time per mile. It's I think I think it's a nice tradition to be a part of. And then you know you kind of you do it in the morning, and then you sit down, you know, and have your meal and dinner with your family. I think I think it's something that you. Can even find us like gathering together, doing something to get together on a Christmas day. So I feel like it's a nice, it's a nice thing to do, and then you're doing it for for a nice co- for a good cause as well. So I think it ticks the boxes. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Sport runs in your family, Greta, as well. I know you're you're there's a bit of a basketball legend in your family, so sport I guess came naturally to you. Yeah. So my uh, my aunt, you're good assuming that she's. Um, she was one of the first um, Lithuanian female players that played played for NBA um, uh, Indiana, and I think she was always one of the. When I was growing up, I think she was one of those, you know, people that you kind of. I, I probably didn't realize at the time when I was younger, but she was definitely one of those people that I was like, I was like, oh, like. Could I be something when I grow up? Could I be? She she's been just incredible, and she still is. And just recently, she actually had uh, been uh, been rewarded as a Hall of Fame for for the basketball and things that she did. So I think it was something that I was I feel striving for um, when I was growing up. Yeah, maybe remind people who are unfamiliar with, with your story, Greta. Uh, maybe about your your visual impairment and, and I guess how that led to you becoming one of our Paralympians. Um, so I, so I think my, well, vision impairment, if we come back to vision impairment, so I would have retinopathy and, and I, you know, I was, that was caused when I was put into incubator. And, well, uh, I think when I, I always say that I was one of those athletes that came to sport quite late and, and I, I actually started running when I came to Ireland and even two years after, so when I was 17. And then I just, uh, my PE teacher was like, because we kind of was known that like we kind of loved sports and, 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 you know, we're kind of like, we're always active and PE teachers like, oh, brother, you do want to go ahead and, and, you know, and run for the community race and sanitary. And I, I was like, yes, I'm going to give it a go. And I think that was my first 800 meters. And then after that, um, the same PE teacher came back to me. I was like, oh, Greta, would you like to um, maybe join a club in the Pirates? And then, you know, maybe Paralympic Games. And back then I didn't know what the, what the Paralympic Games was. And for me, it was a lot, it was a learning journey and, uh, you know, learning about the sport. And then, okay, like, I'll, I'll go, I'll train, I'll train, I'll see how, 
I go and, you know, you, you do just start with like seeing, enjoying the sport and seeing, you know, seeing how, how well you can do. And then a few, a number of years later, here we are. Like how important were people in your life? Like, and I know you've mentioned before, I think with us maybe, was it Sean Gallagher, your, your PE teacher? Uh, like, I, it strikes me that very often for careers like your own, you need someone who, who kickstarts you or gets you involved in sport. And uh, I guess the role of role models is important. Yes, I I think so. And like, it is, you're so right. Like when I look back and when I think like, it's incredible how one person can change direction of your life because if not, if, if not a PE teacher, uh, you know, stopping me at the college and saying, oh, great, there's a community race, um, you know, would you like to do it? And if I would have never done it, I would probably would have never been where I am today. And if, and if it's not him coming back to me again and saying, Greta, maybe you should join the club, you know, maybe you should join a club, maybe you'll see where, where it can lead you. Like, if not him, like I wouldn't be when I am today. And I guess we also can come back to people that we surround ourselves with. Like it's incredible how much that impacts our life. Not even, not, we can say in sport, incredibly, you know, you're, you're grow with people. You like, let's say I'm with, with the Dublin Track Club, you grow with the athletes, we develop together, we, we learn from each other, but also in life as well. I think that's really important. I think, um, the, the, a crossover of the value of sport into general wider society like you're making the point that somebody needs to help everybody needs a little bit of help along the way in whatever career they're going to get and, and opportunities too specifically though about the the value of role models in Paralympian sport somebody saying to you early on that this is something that you can get involved in and you going well, what is that like the curiosity that uh, is inspired but then somebody needs to know about what the opportunities are and your visibility uh, as a role model now is something that is actually going to carry on to the next generation as well so you're kind of building layer on layer and that's why competing in European championships and being successful in them and then going to Olympic Games and doing your very best is like um, you're actually paying something forward to other people who might also have suffered at some point in their lives from um, a setback or a disability or, and, it, and it's obviously not just for future Paralympians but it's for um, future athletes as well. Yeah, to be honest I also, um, I also like I always look at it as something that I think we, as in, like, I started for myself, so I'm doing it, like, because I love the sport. I'm doing it because I want to be as best as I can be. Uh, you know, I'm doing it because, because, you know, that's a part of my life at the moment. And I always think about it. If there's somebody that, you know, somebody that she's like, oh, maybe like, like I was, like, I saw my, my, my aunt being so successful in basketball like if they're let's say you know, a girl like you know we can see like issues in the womb, you know and a girl's not not carrying it on to you know um you know in the in the in sports and dropping out and all these kind of stuff so like if you if there's somebody there that you know can say oh like maybe i can do it maybe i can reach the senior level in sports yeah so i think you know, that, that only, that only is the icing on the cake, like I would like to say. So, but uh, I feel like from my perspective, you always need to, we always need to start from ourselves and then, you know, and then if there's somebody there that sees like, oh, maybe I can do it too, you know, that's, that's only amazing. 
we in Irish sport are, are very guilty of always looking forward so the Rugby World Cup we've been talking about it now for three years and it's nearly upon us the Paris Games in 2024 it's not that far away and yeah you, you know obviously it's a long term ambition but in the medium term and in the short term you need to make sure that you're doing everything to get there at the absolute peak of your powers so what's that what's that like where you've got a long term goal and every day kind of has to still be lived through and you still need to make those improvements to make sure that you get to Paris uh, in the right frame of mind and physically in the right condition? I always been that an athlete. I enjoy training. For me, training, I really enjoy it. For me, like, challenges at training really motivates me. So always like, okay, can I run more miles? Can I lift heavier? Like, for me, it's like, maybe something difficult for my coaches, but I'm that kind of athlete. I'm driven by challenges in training. And if I have that, because the more, because for me, it's like, okay, like how, how much can, can my body handle? How much? Okay. Obviously with every, a bit more, more miles, more lifts or all these things that we do, you know, like harder training session. Okay. Obviously you need to like, okay, brother, you need to eat more. You need to, you know, make sure that your sleep is, you know, spot on and all these kind of things. But I feel like that kind of, because I really enjoy, and I'm asking that I really enjoy training and I, and I enjoy challenges in training. I know that, you know, like the more able you're able to challenge yourself in these situations, you'll be better at races. And obviously then the races come and, you know, then there's this craft that, that you need to develop, you know, develop and improve on. And, and the more races you do, the better you become at it. But because I enjoy that process, I, for me, I don't really think about it. It just really happened for me naturally. And Greg, can I just ask you finally, finally for me, like the, the current level, uh, quality level at 1500 metres, especially and, and middle distance and amongst Irish female athletes is, is quite incredible. Um, and look, you, you, what people might not realise, regardless of your visual impairment, you're, you've been competing in, in national finals at, at 1500 metre distance as well. So, uh, I mean, it must be a really positive time in Irish athletics when you see the achievements of the likes of Kieran McGeehan and and, uh, and, our, and our other athletes who are competing on the world stage? Oh, no, absolutely. It's been such a breakthrough and uh, it's, it's, it's very motivating and it's, 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 and it's such a it's nice thing to see. Like, we can return and come back to the 800 metres and, like, how, you know, uh, how, like, Nadia Power started running so wild or, like, she ran all these girls started breaking through, a, you know, 800 metres at the time. So PBs were just, like, changing and all these things. It's so, it's incredible to see, um, you know, athletes doing well and they're having these massive breakthroughs even, you know, after years being in sports. And, you know, we all know that we all as athletes have tough times and, and, you know, we most of the time have, not that great. There's a very small number of those amazing, memorable, fantastic races where you look back as an athlete and say, oh my God, that was something incredible because there's a lot of, you know, a lot of aspects that come in in that perfect race. But it is, for me personally, it's very uh, motivating and very inspiring to see middle distance and a woman actually uh, go improving so much and it's going to be very exciting to see what the future holds as well what are your plans for christmas um so actually we'll be going to lithuania for a few days um visiting my my family because i haven't been to lithuania for nine days for nine years now so i thought it was time to, to visit my family for a few days and uh and spend the christmas with them
Well, listen, we wish you a, a great Christmas and hopefully you'll do the Gold Mile in Lithuania. Greta Street, Makita, best of luck. Thanks a million. Thank you. Uh, right, if you want to get in touch with us this morning, 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number or you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. Now, before we go, if you missed anything from Wednesday's OTBAM, you can get it all back on podcasts. You'll find all our best stuff from off the ball there. The World Cup Brief is available in the OTB Football feed every morning. OTB Football is where you'll also find a brilliant hour-long chat between Joe and Jonathan Wilson on his new book, Two Brothers, The Life and Times of Bobby and Jackie Charlton. And just a reminder that Monday Night Rugby and tonight's Wednesday Night Rugby are only available to catch in full exclusively in the OTB Rugby podcast feed. It's where you'll also find Chris Jones discussing the sacking of Eddie Jones and the latest episode of The Red 78. Make sure you subscribe to that feed. Uh, before we go, delighted to announce Sean O'Connell has been selected as the winner of today's Leopardstown Christmas Festival, so you can stop crying laughing in our Twitter feeds. For the rest of you, a reminder to tune into OTBAM every day this week for your chance to win two hospitality places for the Leopardstown Pavilion. The Leopardstown Christmas Festival obviously takes place from the 26th of December to the 29th. Back tomorrow with Kerry's all Ireland winning midfielder David Moran. We'll have the return of You Had to Be There alongside the sports broadcaster Lee McKenzie. Shane Hannan will debut Around the World with Hannan. Be sure to tune in for that. And we'll have more from the World Cup, plenty more besides, including the rumours emerging this morning, tweeted by journalist Georgina Robinson, among others, that Scott Robertson is a candidate to join Leinster. Ooh, that is a Christmas present. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.